Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear a scream and shout. I love of Indiana, his manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hello, Ward. Hello, Eric. How are you, my friend? Uh, you know, we've got a lot to talk about. We do, don't we? That's kind of what I was thinking, too. There's a whole gamut of things to, to run through. What what would you like to start us off with? I think we have to start with a little bit of the fallout from last week's episode. The I mean, I really wasn't expecting it. I, I guess that was naive. Yeah, I mean, look, when he let, – let's just set the table here. Last week we had on former Big Ten Player of the Year, one of our best friends – from this world um, although now i guess we should call him our enemy because people seem to hate him i mean just um, we just need a little distance from him we don't want to be guilty by association yeah we just we just we're just acquaintances <laughs> um brian evans and brian it is fair to say was not drinking from the crimson kool-aid that the rest of or the majority of of hoosier nation has been for the first several weeks of this season and he did not bite his tongue when talking about various things about the team and specific players which look did i think it was strange when he was so specific and so negative about some of the guys yes i did i was i was taken aback that he would be that honest about his feelings in a public format although he did say routinely that um no one was listening to our show. So guess what? <laughs> he was wrong. Um, so yeah, I, when we were doing it, there were a couple times where we definitely pushed back. When he was negative about Trace's 43 points, it just made no sense. Right. I mean, it just made no sense. When, when he was, you know, being really hard on certain things about Christian Lander, his hair, for example, we don't give a good damn about his hair. Right. So, I chalked it up as we were talking to what I said on the podcast, which was you've turned into Clint Eastwood from Gran Torino. You're just an old crotchety get off my lawn guy now who wants things the way they used to be. And that's just, those days ain't coming back. Bobby Knight is not walking through that door. Look, I, I think that to me, I was so surprised by this by, by one I, I didn't realize people didn't get that that's part of Brian Evans' charm, right? Like being being crotchety negative. and grumpy and negative. 
and and so to me there's a lot of humor in that and i think a lot of times he is trying to be funny and a little contrary to to mix it up a little bit on the other hand i don't think i realized just maybe how in love general fans are with the team right now like to me i have i feel a pretty realistic handle on this team for me that we've been doing well we've been having some fun and exciting and interesting games but like we're not kidding ourselves here we haven't played anybody yet so to me i just thought it was all going to meet somewhere in the middle he's being a little funny crotchety fans don't think this much of the team already but it then i get onto pigs like two hours after it was released and people are super mad at him for his extremes and for raining on their parade and it really it blindsided me because i feel like the reality is somewhere in between the fans with the crimson colored glasses and the the anger and negativity of Brian and and the middle ground is is sort of where I've been trying to live. Yes, and look, I know because I responded to some of these that a lot of people thought that he was just being pers- he was personally attacking some of the players, specifically Christian with the hair thing. Right. And look, I Brian said what he said, and he's not going to take it back. I do think to your point that he was trying to be funny, that the the hair uh, is just something he doesn't like. And Coach Knight did not allow long hair, you know, and didn't like facial hair and stuff like that. So I think he was taking a much more Bob Knight, George Steinbrenner, you know, um, approach to sports. I know some people took it at the worst possible interpretation that it could have been. Yeah. And I just, we've known Brian a little bit. I don't think he's that guy. Now, we're not dear friends. I don't know what's in anybody's heart, but I do think like the least we could do is cut him a little slack and and afford him the right to not interpret what he's saying with the worst possible of intentions. And I think that, that that's what a lot of people were doing. I understand that because we've certainly heard those comments within the realm of those worst possible interpretations. I don't think that's what Brian was. But again, it did surprise us how negative he was being. It was sobering. Um, and then, of course, we play Syracuse after that and watch our team turn the ball over 27 times, which is the thing that Brian talked about that was really concerning to him against bad teams. Yeah, And, and also, Syracuse is not a good team, but but – it was, it was a little bit of like, wow, he kind of nailed that one. Um, so I just, look, we don't censor, you know, the only times we'll edit something out is if, if there's just like a technical mistake, but we leave in all of our faux pas, we leave in our mistakes, and we ask people for no pay to come on our show and be honest with us. And so the best... The best response I saw on Peegs that I really enjoyed was somebody saying, how dare you to ask someone their their honest opinion and then let them give it. <laughs> yes, yes. We, we're not subscribing to the echo chamber here. And look, this podcast has largely been about bringing on legends and talking about the past. We've gone through a lot of the legends and now we're entering a new season, new era, and yes, we're going to be talking to more legends. Like today. 
like today, but at the same time, as we're evolving, it's like, well, you know, let's let's kind of see where this goes when we're we're in a contemporary mode. Right. And Brian has obviously very strong opinions. Rabbi has very strong opinions. Sometimes you and I have very strong opinions. But what I don't want to do is get into whether it was like the Dane and the tweets last week or Brian and the stuff this week. I think there is. And and I ran into a friend at it was actually a screening out here in L.A. He went to IU. He actually went to IU just because he loved Bobby Knight and Indiana University. No other connection to it. Um, but I was I was in a project of his. So we went to the screening and he was so excited about the season. But he was also like, I can't believe how much negativity there still is out there around the program. And I was like, man, you're right. And I don't really want to live in that space um, and what I want to talk about is how much fun I'm having with this basketball season so far. It helps it's been cupcakes, right? And that we've been blowing the doors off of most of them. But that Trace Jackson Davis is breaking scoring records in Assembly Hall. That whatever you want to say about we coulda, shoulda, woulda beat Syracuse, that was a wild game. And I know that you, me, and the goons were all acting like a bunch of idiots on FaceTime going into, what, overtime, double yeah, overtime? Yeah. You know, there's, like, so much fun to be had out there right now, and I don't really want to go where that minority of people on social media go, whether it be Twitter or Peegs of, like, oh, let's, let's like, and even, you know, obviously, Brian wanted to go there and that was a big chunk of our podcast last week but I'm there's going to be plenty of things that are legitimately upsetting this basketball season like we're going to just get smashed by somebody and for right now I'm just like really trying to have a good time and you know so far so good Nebraska was fun see yeah, you, know, I mean, you can't have fun well, you, you set it up in such a way that, like, I'm the asshole now if I'm critical at all. Well, I, I mean, look, I won't. I will tell you that if, like, you want to spend more time criticizing than enjoying or pointing out all the good I things we do, to. I think I that is both. sort of, well, do, do you, though? No, I do. All right. I, what, I think... what was, like, your favorite thing we did you were most impressed by during the Nebraska game? Anthony Leal. Awesome. Go Anthony on. Leo came off the bench in the first half, uh, has not had a chance to play much, great energy immediately, and made the best pass of the year so far. It was great. I mean, the best pass of the year. He looked up, he had his eyes up, and he thread the needle. Thread or threaded? Threaded? He thread the needle. Threaded he the needle. Threaded the needle. Both. They're both right. This is why we are not professionals. <laughs> we can't even get through like three sentences of like exposition. Because what? Like real journalists, they probably are like English majors or English yeah. minor. And they under. Yeah. No, we're not. If we, that. if we had taken Ernie Pyle classes, we would know what the word is. But he made an amazing pass to Tamar. He then hit a big three, played good defense, brought great energy. And I thought he and Tamar really stemmed the tide of that you know um just Surge. horrible start you know horrible start and so i i love that and then anthony made as good of a pass to tamar just a couple plays later and tamar couldn't handle it tamar should have yeah. handled it yeah. it was an awesome pass 
So I will say that. I'll tell you another thing I love. He benched every starter. It was awesome. Like how many times during the Archie era, I'm sorry, Archie, but you were the last one. So you're you're what we have to look back on and, and say, I'm glad this is different now. And I'm glad that there's accountability and a willingness to not only are you teaching a lesson to those guys you benched, you're legitimately giving those guys who come into the game a real opportunity to show you when the game time is is for real, not in practice, that they are the kind of guys who will step up when called upon. And there we go. They did. Yeah, no, I, I love that. So I there, there was plenty that I was happy about. I thought Trace in the end of the game turned it back on. I think Race Thompson is playing incredibly hard. I think as I, I watched the Syracuse game again, as painful as it was, you know, Trace and Race both, their turnover percentages and their turnover rates are way up this year. Like it, way up. It is crazy. And their minutes aren't way up. I mean, Trace's minutes are up a little bit, but like not significant, not to the point where this should matter, you know? But what is happening, no doubt about it, is they are both being asked to do more. Mm-hmm. They are both being asked to be playmakers on some level in a way that they were not last year. I mean, Race Thompson is dribbling the ball up the court regularly, you know? And and granted, a lot of his turnovers don't come from that. They come from in the post and making bad decisions. But they are asking them to make plays, not to just go score the ball, but make the right play. And so part of me thinks, like, they just have to get used to that. I don't like the turnovers. I don't like them. You know... How long have I been harping on that, Ward? When you and I talk about games, I tell you how many times. If we turn the ball over more than 12 times or 10 times, like it's going to be tough for us to win this game. And it will be. We, we will not win consistently in the Big Ten if we turn the ball over 17, 18 times a game. We won't. Of course. But you do think that new players getting used to each other, new system, new coach, all that, it does seem – like there's reason to hope that gets better as the season progresses, as they have a better understanding of what they're supposed to be doing, the tendencies of the guys they're on the court with the anticipation. There is reason to hope that that's better in January and February. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have, I'm going to believe that it's going to get better. So the, so I, I did say some things that I liked about, about the Nebraska game and things that were doing well, but I, I am very disappointed in the overall point guard play. And I think that that puts a, a, a real governor on how high this team can soar. If we don't have consistent point guard play one game, Xavier Johnson looks like the answer and goes downhill and makes good decisions. And he's made some great passes and his assist numbers are way up for versus the first few games, but the fouling, the poor decision-making, I mean, I don't want to even get into Rob stuff because I just think he's a shell of his of this of the player that we saw the first what 15 games of his career in his freshman year, and we see little flashes, but overall, it's but a, overall, you can just tell. I mean, he I makes know, a shot and then he he airballs a mid range shot. <laughs> I almost wish we didn't see the flashes at all anymore, so right. the hope could be completely extinguished. But, but but you know what? Like, it's funny because we call them flashes. They're not flashes. They're not. This is what inconsistent players do. Right. <laughs> they make some good plays, but you can't count on them to make them re- consistently. Like yes. That's, that Flashes, is why, 
flashes is what they say of like, oh, it's a rookie or a sophomore who's coming up and you see what they're going to start putting together consistently. But you're right. If you have it by your senior year, it's like, nope, you just do that stuff sometimes not enough. Right. And we love the kid. I mean, we love him. And Tamar Bates is showing flashes. Tamar uh, Bates shows. Yeah. Flashes. Now, Tamar Bates has a long way to go defensively. I mean, if you want to see a guy, Tamar Bates is so jumpy and excitable right now and goes for every fake that if the other team simply shouted fake, he would go for it. I mean, he, but, but, but you see him oozing talent. I mean, you just see it. So I like that. I I am worried overall on the point guard play. I'm just, it's fun. Like with race, I, and, and then with Tamar, it's fun to see you like, and this is like this player is doing this great thing, but I've got to talk about what's yeah, wrong. I just want to be honest about and it. Like you pull I... yourself back over. No, I'm just making an observation, and I agree with you on all this stuff. And look about the point guard play. We discussed this. There was texting going on. You you have, and this is college basketball at large, and very few teams have very few players that are really good all the way around all the time. If you want to watch that, watch the Suns play the Warriors. (laughs) Or watch Gonzaga or Duke or, you know. But but, but not even, not even. Because it's like at the college level to get somebody who's like consistently good night in and night out at both ends of the floor for like 30 minutes that you get paid tens of millions of dollars to do that. So now let's say we just want to be in the Gonzaga Duke conversation sooner rather than later. It's not going to be this season. So if we're expecting that, we're going to be crushed. For this season, it's about Coach Woodson getting the best out of primarily it's X, right? Because he's got the experience. He's got the athleticism. He's got most of the talent. Can he rein him in to our Twitter spaces conversation you know, it's easier to rein in a madman than revive a dead horse. And so let's hope that with X, Coach Woody can just do a little, a little, uh, you know, psychological counseling to be like, calm down, go easy. Don't, don't spaz out to the point where you can't even play in the game because you've got three fouls in the first eight minutes, because that's a huge part of X's problem right now. The turnovers and stuff. Uh, you know, he gets three really quick, but then he can be really solid for the rest of the game. So it's just about calming him down. And I do think we're kind of only going to go as far as he takes us unless all of a sudden Landis starts getting a lot more play. Yeah, I, that part is just disappointing because I, Woody in his press conference said Rob Finnessy is the second guard off the bench. Mm-hmm. You know, he he believes in his leadership and his veteran status and thinks that that um, is valuable. And we're not in practice every day. And Woody wants to win. And so I can only think that he's making that call because that's what he truly believes and the coaches believe is the best option, which makes me sad because I think it does, um, it's gonna force his hand. That's what worries me. It's gonna force Christian to make a tough decision. And the guy's got a lot of talent and he's from Indiana. And you don't want to see five-star kids from Southern Indiana not work out in Bloomington because that's not a good sign. That's just not good for, for, for the program. So totally agree. Totally agree. But then we all know Woody knows more about basketball yeah. 
you know, in his sleep snoring than we do awake on two cups of coffee. Like, that's a terrible, probably, analogy. But I'm saying any scenario you want to come up with, Woody knows a hundred times more about basketball than I do. So I can look at a flash from Lander, or I can see Lander right. come in in an overtime situation and do quite well and, and really be rather clutch. And that's, I extrapolate that to what if he was playing 20, 25 minutes a game or even 15 every game. And then that could build up through a season. But Coach Woodson knows so much more than me, and he's seeing him every damn day for hours at a time. So it's as much as I want to believe that Christian could be this thing sooner rather than later, it is hard for me to think that in my very narrow window on his basketball playing can compare to what Coach Woodson is seeing all the time. That's fair, although I said this in text, and I'll just say it again. I hate the whole, he knows more about basketball than we'll ever, you know, that he's forgotten more today about basketball than we'll ever know. So did Tom Crean. So does Archie Miller. It doesn't mean they're above critique. It doesn't mean that they are too are not too close to it, that they don't see the forest for the trees, any of them. Okay, but so, in the in the Christian situation, if we're talking specifically about that, okay, now you want to say that that both Archie Miller and Coach Woodson just completely didn't understand how talented this guy was and if they played him more. No, I you know what I think it is? And I'm not doubting that he hasn't earned it. Okay. What I'm doubting is that I don't think Archie last year and so far Woody this year has the appetite to let him grow through the mistakes he's going to have to make to even get to see if he's got that higher plane. And if you're not going to do it against Nebraska at home, it's it's like we talked about last year, Ward. All those mop-up games were, where Christian barely played – it's not going to happen when you're fighting every game to make the tournament. That's what worries me, and that's what makes me sad about the whole situation. I just find the situation sad. I, I just... do, too. I do, too. But I, I try to not worry about it too much that if if Christian's going to be a really excellent Indiana Hoosier, he's going to be, but if it just for whatever reason doesn't work out, the kind of talent we have coming in at the guard position, it doesn't make me – really pull out my hair like it would have maybe a year ago to be like, Ooh, we're losing like the one good young point guard we have. It's like, okay, no, I do think there's help coming from that. And I, I hope when those guys show up, Christian's really established himself as, okay, this is going to be my team and somebody's got to take it away from me. But you know, we're, we're a long way from that being a thing. Yeah, Jalen hood Shafino is going to start as point guard from day one. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> Most likely, and that's why I can't be too, while I'm sad, I can't be too nervous about yeah. who's running the team next year. Um, I love Parker Stewart hitting shots. I mean, he <gasps> is hitting shots. Look, he, he is doing what we said. He has got to hit shots at such a high clip to stay on the court because he does have liabilities. And like you said, that's college basketball for the most part. Mm -hmm. There are significant trade-offs with most players. And, and Parkers are stark. Now, if he shoots more than 40% from three, they're going to deal with not great defense. He's not a good passer. He doesn't really do anything else on the court that well. But he's filling it up right now, leading the Big Ten in three-point percentage. Now, let's see what happens when we're playing against Big Ten teams that mm -hmm. defend better. We're... Look, this game tonight against Wisconsin 
is exciting. See, you're excited. I I, I have stopped getting excited. For, I, I'm excited oh, anytime Indiana. No, 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 no. Let me take it back. I'm excited <laughs> anytime Indiana plays because it's a huge event for me, and I mark my calendar and my time by Indiana games. But I have been so beaten down by playing in Madison, and sure. I've been to a game in Madison. I mean, we haven't won there in 24 years. I fully expect to lose. Yeah, I hate them. I hate them with an unbridled passion. I hate the way they play. I think that they are in that mold of Purdue and Michigan State where they have just convinced the refs that you can't call a foul every time. So we're just going to beat the shit out of everybody. Um, they're slow. I just hate it. So I, I'm excited to watch Indiana play. And man, the narrative that comes out of that, if you do pull off a victory, is impressive. Um, and we got to start beating teams that matter. You know, the the NCAA's net ratings came out today for the first time. Not and good. we're 56th. And the reason we're 56 is because we have not played or beaten anybody. That's it. It has nothing to do with anything else. There is a high value in those net rankings, and they will shift wildly over the next few weeks. But if we don't beat people that are ranked, that are good teams, you know, we're going to suffer the same fate that we did the last several years with Archie's teams. But I'll tell you why else I'm excited. Not just because we have a chance to beat Wisconsin for the first time since the late 1940s uh, in Madison. I think since since Wisconsin officially became a state. <laughs> That's right. I mean, that way we they won a national championship, and then we won a national championship, and they've owned us ever since. Um, World War II happened, and it's been it's been not great. Okay, so it's not been great since Coach Knight retired between us and Wisconsin. What I'm excited about is you mentioned Parker. Miller obviously went pretty crazy against Syracuse. Scoop, you mentioned in Nebraska. X is hitting shots. It's not just that Parker is hitting three-pointers. It's that on a given night, so is somebody else, maybe even a couple people. Anthony Leal, if he continues to get some run, that kind of depends on what the players are doing who are starting, whether they're getting in foul trouble or just doing things to upset Coach Woodson. We've got some guys shooting it pretty well from outside. And when you have... Trace Jackson Davis, All-American in the middle, who not only can score 43 points, but if he's not been, if he's being doubled, he he's starting to really understand who those guys are around him and how he can trust them to knock it down. And when we're talking about the what could the ceiling on this team be, and a big part of that is how effective can X be most of the time, I think the other big part of the calculus is if Trace can't get it going because there's two uglies down on him just beating the hell out of him, I'm starting to feel pretty good that on a given night, one or two guys are going to have a hot enough hand to keep those defenses honest. And when you're looking at a Big Ten that now really only has one seemingly dominant team, and we won't mention them because they're awful and they're the spawn of Satan, and I can't believe they're effing number one in the country right now. But, you know, look, Ohio State upset Duke. The good thing about that is now Duke can't go undefeated and win the national championship. We're getting that stuff out of the way. But really, aside from Purdue, there's nobody who's just, like, amazing this year that we couldn't potentially beat. 
with what we have going. I, and yeah. And so whether it be Wisconsin or any of these other teams, look, it's always going to be easier at home than on the road, especially now that crowds are back. But I do feel like, okay, if if shooting was maybe the biggest question mark of the, the team, and yes, we, we haven't had the toughest defenses to go against yet, but at least we've got, uh, what, eight-game sample size to say that we have, like, on a given night – five guys that can make three-pointers during actual games. Yeah, I mean, look, when you look at the stats, Xavier Johnson, he's not shooting many. He's only taking a little bit more than one shot a game. Um, By the way, I just have to say this because it just ended. Indiana women just waxed Penn State tonight, 70 to 40. (laughs) I mean, I love that so much. But Xavier Johnson shooting 50%, 5 of 10 from the three-point line. Um, Miller cop who had a really rough game against Nebraska, really rough. His worst game to date is still shooting 35.7% from three Parker, 47.7 Tamar Bates is at 36% for a freshman to be at 36% is great. Now it may fall when the big 10 season starts. And and when he came in, it wasn't like this guy can shoot the lights out. No. But when you're talking about somebody who's just going to continue in my mind to get better and better and better. And part of that is your outside shot develops pretty quickly. And I mean, I would have been overjoyed if you told me he was shooting 36%. Oh my God, absolutely. And then Anthony Leal, who's only taken six, is shooting 66%. Um, So yeah, overall, the three-point shooting has been great. And by the way, it's really dragged down by the fact that Race Thompson is taking the green light that they're giving him and just is not making threes. I mean, he's he's going to get yelled at if he doesn't take them. I know, I know. He's just not making them. So, um... Yeah, look, it's a big game. It's it's a huge, huge, huge game because we are not going to be a team, I don't think, that is just sailing into the NCAA tournament without any question. I think it's going to come down to a few games here or there. And these are the games that if you steal, you are just ahead of the game so much. Mm-hmm. And it would show just real progress for us as a, as a program. So, look... Lot to be excited about with basketball. Uh, also, did you know that yesterday, Monday, was Finland Independence Day? Uh, I'm guessing you know that because you have a strong Danish tie to the situation. <laughs> no, I I have a strong Twitter tie to the situation. Okay, okay. Where where, where our uh, big time recruit Miro Little put out a Happy Independence Day to Finland. Uh, I did respond that I would be glad glad to be finished for the day and that also I hear that Bloomington is a wonderful place to spend Finnish Independence Day for the next several years. Did you, did you say I would become a Finnish citizen if we could just finish this recruitment Ooh, right now? There uh, it is. There uh, it is. Maybe I should be on Twitter. <laughs> so look, that recruitment... You know, recruitment's going strong. That's a high-level player and a very cool, different, you know, way for us to get talent. And I think we all know that the talent just needs to continually be upgraded here. So excited about that. Let's touch on football. Touch football? Here's what I'm going to say about the offensive coordinator. Who? Yeah, when they signed uh, Dylan McCullough, Mm -hmm. that was pretty cool. Yep. The guy was the running back coach at USC and then the Super Bowl winning and Super Bowl competing back-to-back years, Kansas City Chiefs. Yep. He had been at Indiana before. 
And obviously there's the recruiting stuff with all of his kids, you know, that are amazing. But that was an exciting hire. Correct. Charlton Warren from from Georgia was an exciting hire, in yeah. my estimation, for defensive coordinator. Yes. This is not exciting. It's not. I, it's not. It. You can you can go. I did it. I went through where he was offensive coordinator for Maryland and Arkansas. And yes, the stats were pretty good when he was offensive coordinator. He was also the head coach of UMass, and they were the worst team in all of college football the last two years. That means they were worse than us last year, and we didn't win a game in conference and only beat one Division One level team. So it's hard. I'm not passing judgment because I don't know anything about him, but it's hard to get excited about this one is I'm having trouble mustering the excitement. Yeah, no, it's not sexy. It's not flashy. You just hope that there is something that coach Allen and those around him who he, he gets advice from on such a big hire like this one of if not the most important hire of his his tenure up to date, because it's like, look, he he's still very much in, inherited, you know, it's sort of that turnover, right? That after you've had sort of a full cycle of players go through and the coaching staff, it's all yours. It's like, okay, now this is fully 100% his program, his players. And what do you got? What do you got? Because I think... With with Sheridan, you, he's seeing somebody he's bringing up and seeing potential in and hoping can become this thing that clearly at this point in his life, Coach Sheridan was not ready to become. And so now you're like, well, let me find somebody from anywhere in the country that I can plug into this Big Ten program, and now we can get back competing at the level we were the year prior and yeah, I mean, there was a, some stuff at Maryland that was positive. And, and if our offense looked like a couple of those Maryland offenses next year, we'd be all be like, great, okay, solid hire. But it does, you know, I, I think you're always hoping that there's that diamond in the rough, like that, that is, there's maybe we got a brilliant young mind that's going to revolutionize our offense for the next three years before he goes off and leads, you know, Fresno State to incredible success. Yeah. Yeah. I, we'll see what happens. It's just not as exciting as the last two big coaching hires he made. And I do wonder if part of that is because we so shit the bed this year that it limited our options. And I think you and I talked about this off podcast. But if you're an offensive coordinator and the Indiana job historically has been a stepping stone job, you get that job and then hopefully you move on to a head coaching job somewhere or a bigger school, you know, um, coordinator job. You you want to know you got a quarterback, right? Like that. I, I just have to think that if you're an offensive coordinator looking around and if you are an offensive coordinator who has options, which is the only kind of offensive coordinator that you would want because the guy with options is clearly good enough to be at multiple places. He's in demand. Then you would think you would look around and go, okay, where do I have most chance of being successful? Who's the quarterback? And there's no answer to that right now at Indiana. Could it be Donovan McCulley? Perhaps. We didn't see anything this year it got weird at the end, truthfully. And then <laughs> it did. It just got weird that you thought like, well, just let this guy learn. And then they didn't let him learn. They pulled him back. And then we're playing some walk-on in his senior year. Um, 
Jack Tuttle obviously is not the quarterback of the future for Indiana. And so I worry a little bit about that. And that does bring me to Michael Penix that I feel like we would be remiss to not talk about. You and I have talked about this before. I am not of the ilk of people who fall over themselves to tweet congratulations and good luck to people who choose to leave Indiana University. That's not my thing. It's not my bag. I don't understand it. If I tweeted, I would not tweet. I would not tweet nice things at them. Now, I think there are nor, differences here. Nor mean things. I wouldn't tweet mean right, things either. Sure. I no, would be I, suspiciously absent in my opinion yes. online. But I will say this. Michael Penix has been in Indiana for four years. Like he, and he said he's graduating in May. Mm-hmm. Like he's getting his degree. So he'll be a grad transfer somewhere, which he doesn't even need that because the, you know, he could just transfer somewhere because of the new rules right. and not sit out. The but he's, year. he's, uh, no, no, no. The one-time transfer rule. Wait, how many years of eligibility has he used? I don't know, to be honest with you, okay. but he's a senior. It, it he both, probably right? could get another year, I guess. You know, I don't know. I mean, how many games did he play in this year? Did he even <laughs> no, play in four? I mean, grand total, he's played one season. Right, <laughs> one exactly. season. Yeah, I th- yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit more than that. But yes, your point is correct. So I have no ill will towards Michael Penix. I feel terrible for what happened to Michael Penix's career. I mean, that is a guy whose body just failed him. I mean, his body just broke down. And I do wish him the best. You know, he he gave four years to Indiana. He gave it his all. His body broke down several times. He kept coming back and fighting back. He gave us a th- uh, the thrill of a football lifetime last season in in his performance. And I'm I, I'm I wish him nothing but the best. What I don't get is the transfers that are like here for a year or two and just decide that they want to go somewhere else. And people are falling over themselves to talk about how good they're playing. Who gives a tumbling shit? They left us. We didn't kick them off. Al Durham, you know, he, four years, graduated. Great. Good luck, Al. I'm not going to tweet about your stats. But, like, Armand Franklin left us. Armand Franklin would have been a starter on this year's team. Armand Franklin was a starter on last year's team. I, I don't want him to do well in college basketball yeah, because that I, means another team is doing well. Yeah, like I he, only want college basketball players to do well on our team. On no other team, it, it, especially if they would have been on our team, it's only taking away from how our, our good our team could have been this year. And so, yes, I'm I am with you. I have absolutely no desire to be holier than thou and out there being like, I'm so happy for all these guys who decided to shit on our program and go take their talents to South Beach or in this case, Virginia. And you know what, Ward? I actually think the player who transfers again, I'm not talking about the four year player. That is a different thing. Okay, the Al Durham, his career at Indiana ran its course. Great. But the other guys. We're mad about Armand because he was really good. Like, we don't get upset when bad guys leave. But also because he only gave us two years. Like, my point is, I wouldn't tweet out congratulations to, um, I don't don't even know who the players are, but some rando who committed to Virginia and just played a couple years in Virginia, that guy never came to Indiana and screwed us. 
This guy did. <laughs> and yet it, like, that's worse than not coming here in the first place. For sure. Like I wouldn't treat it. Would you other guy, congratulations to Luke Recker? The other guy, the other guy I'm indifferent to, the guy who turned his back on Please. us is the guy I have a real problem with. Yes. And that doesn't mean he's a bad kid. Okay. But no, I'm no, not no, no. root for him. No, we're just I'm we're keeping this inside the basketball lines. Yes. Okay. I hope he has a wonderful life everywhere outside of the basketball court. Exactly. So um, that wraps up our, our football transfer, Brian Evans chat. Um, this intro really has been strong. It's almost as if this intro was powered by. So listen. We have been doing a lot of different kinds of podcasts lately. We obviously got last week's controversial uh, podcast with Brian Evans to talk about the current team. We've had a lot of trips to Bloomington, um, Fan Fest. We've done some current players recently. But this thing started with you and I walking down memory lane for the legends that have put on the candy stripes and brought glory to Indiana University. And there is no more glorious time in Indiana University history than 1974 through 1976. And we've talked to a few people from that era, but I believe, Ward, we've talked to Kent Benson. Mm -hmm. We've talked to Jim Cruz. Mm -hmm. I believe, oh, I'm sorry, no. Benson and Abernathy. Mm -hmm. I believe those are the only two that we've talked to from the 76 championship team. They're a shy bunch, at least when it comes to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we've talked to, we've talked to Cruz. We've talked to Laz from the 75 team. Mm -hmm. We've talked to <clears throat> Steve Downing from a couple years before. Steve Green. But, yes, but we have not had a chance to talk Wait, no, Jim Cruz was on the team, right? Yeah, he was on the 70s. Because, oh, yeah, yeah you, you're talking about guys who were at the exact span. Yes, but who, who were the two guys that were on the 75 team that didn't make it to 76? Laz, and was that it? Green, right? Oh, Steve Green. Yeah. Sorry. You're yeah, right. Greeno. Right, Greeno and Abernathy. Or, shit. <laughs> Greeno and Laz. Um. So when you get a chance to talk to somebody who was there in 74, 75 and was there in 75, 76, and we'll get to this in the interview, played an extremely key role in us winning that championship game, which was not a foregone conclusion because of the injury to Bobby Wilkerson mm -hmm. at the beginning of that game. And the halftime score was not indicative of a team that was running away with it. Uh, it's just exciting as hell because it's what this podcast is built on. And I am just so happy that we get to talk to this gentleman. Well, with no further ado, let's do that. Here comes a guest. Here comes a guest. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is the part of our show where a special guest comes into the fray uh, and we give them a great long introduction. Now, normally, 
They're embarrassed maybe by the length of the introduction. But basically, this gentleman just challenged Eric to see how long the intro could go for. <laughs> and I don't think there's going to be any shortage of outstanding feats that Eric's going to want to list. So go right ahead, my friend. Hailing from the great city of Quincy, Illinois, not too far from my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri, just a little bit north and on the other side of the river where he played for the Quincy Blue Devils, where all he did there was graduate with the most points in a career, most assists, most points in a game, most assists in a game, highest free throw percentage, most field goals made, most free throws made. He was an all-state uh, member of the Illinois All-State team. He was a high school national All-American. He then, of course, matriculated at Indiana University as part of the 1974-75 recruiting class. In his time at Indiana, and we'll get to some team stuff in a second, but he led the team in assists in 1976-77 and 77-78. He has the fifth best all-time Big Ten season in assists at Indiana. He is eighth all-time for IU in Big, in Big Ten play in assists. He has the eighth best assist average for IU in a season at 5.0. He had 10 assists twice in a game in 1977-78. He is 18th all-time at Indiana in assists. He led the team in steals in 1977-78. He had two, count them two, Big Ten titles. His overall record in the Big Ten in his four years is 59-13. and 13. 13 losses in four years. We're accustomed to getting 13 losses by early February these days. <laughs> he made the Elite Eight with a Big Ten title in 1974-75 after an undefeated season in the Big Ten. And then, of course, in 1975-76, was a key member of the last undefeated team in college basketball. He played a key role in the national championship game, which we will get to. Indiana's, of course, legendary, voted the greatest college basketball team of all time, 75-76. He has gone on to a successful career in advertising. He, has, he speaks fluent French, Spanish. He's lived in Paris. He's lived in New York. He's lived in, in Spain. He splits his time now between two different continents. Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to a legend and a man who told me not to call him sir and not to call him anything other than Jim Wisman. Jesus, wow, I tell you, hey, that's pretty good. I, I, if you guys are available, I wish I would have known you a while ago. I'd have you write my resume. <laughs> I'd probably still be working. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm doing great. How about you guys? We're doing great. So when you hear that list of things that dates back to your time for the Quincy Blue Devils, all through, obviously, your Indiana career, is there one thing... I mean, it's hard to say that the 76 title doesn't stand out, but is there one thing as you heard that list of things that, that stood out to you more than the others? Uh, yeah, I guess a lot of the things I didn't actually know. So I was not uh, big on stats. So a lot of the things, I guess, uh, kind of surprised me. Um, 13 only losses. I thought we had, I thought we had those in one year. So, but, <laughs> but uh, other than that, we, I knew we didn't have very, very many losses, but 13 in total uh, surprised me. So that's, that, what do you mean? that makes me feel better already. And yeah, and none of them came in the first two seasons. 
Yes, that's right. Jim. Uh, we'll call you Jim, right? No, sir. We're just like, because we're friends, right? Could we consider ourselves well, friends? Yeah, absolutely. Just don't call me Jimmy. I, that was only one guy who made me famous for that name. But uh, who <laughs> anything is, else who is, is that? It's, uh, I think his name was called Coach Knight. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but um, no, I, I guess I'm reminded of, of the old uh, Groucho Marx. I think it was Groucho Marx said, you know, I don't care what you call me, just call me. So you guys, you guys called me, so I guess you could call me whatever you want. All right. Very good. Well, well Jim, as Eric alluded to, you're, you're a world sophisticate. You've, you've lived and continue to live on other continents. Uh, you have an interesting piece of artwork, I'm assuming, is not from North America <laughs> behind you. Where, where are you right now? I'm in my, I'm in my basement in Chicago, so it may, it's kind of my, a little bit my man's cave down here, I guess, so. And, and uh, so how often are you in Chicago and where are you for other times of the year? Yeah, no, we're, it depends. And with the COVID going on, I can't say it's been any a certain time, but most, mostly we spent about almost six months here and about six months in Spain or maybe five months here, six months in Spain and a month in France probably. So, uh, yeah, since I retired, I just, uh, um, you know, a lot of the a lot of worker people who work all the time can't get away from work. I was not like that. As soon as I retired, I just started doing the things that I really like to do, and I I never get bored. So it's been great. And do you, so I, I alluded to this in the in the intro, but do you you told me you speak pretty much fluent French? Do you smoke? Do you speak pretty much fluent Spanish? Yeah, pretty well now. I, yeah, I've gotten gotten quite good. Um, but um, yeah, I I had spoken good Dutch. Mm. Um, I I lived in Holland for two years as well, about two and a half years. We can go through that maybe a little bit later. But yeah, uh, sure. I learned um, I learned Dutch pretty well. And was actually doing business in it, but I don't speak it anymore because that's been when I leave. I think I left in '91, so it's been you know 20, 30 years ago. So at that point, you know, you you kind of lose it. And I went. I actually lived in Germany for two and a half years, so I, I learned German fairly well, but not to the level of uh, French or or Spanish. Where is your favorite place that you have lived? Well, it has to be Paris, I guess. That would be that would be my vote. Yeah. Although the south the south of Spain is pretty nice now. Yeah, it's hard to beat out Paris. Yes, it is. Now, how would you compare Bloomington to Paris? Well, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> I guess it's, it, they're not comparable, but uh, both are, are very nice. Now, be careful, be, be careful, Jim. You don't want to offend our Parisian listeners. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, so what? <laughs> That's Jim, what I was what, worried about. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to, we want to go way back, but before we do, you, you split your time. You're you're in the Midwest now. You're in Chicago, and I understand that very recently you were back in that greatest city in the world, uh, just above Paris on the list, Bloomington, uh, for the first time in quite some time. What were you doing in Bloomington, and, and tell us about what that was like for you to be back. Oh, it was, I had a great uh, time actually. Great weekend. I, I went with Tom Abernethy, who um. Yeah, I think you guys know Tom a little bit. You know, he's yeah. he's persistent and 
Um, so I went down there and saw the game against Nebraska. It was really good. I was since uh, Mike got the job, I I went in the summer to kind of a reunion, uh, and that was great time. We went down actually down to French Lick in a hotel. Um, we we were there too, Jim. We were there uninvited, and we tried to crash it, and they kicked us out. <laughs> No, are you kidding? I'm not kidding. We were we were outside of the hotel in the uh, entranceway, and we talked to a few players, former players that we knew, and then they kicked us out. Wow, you, you <laughs> didn't talk. To, you you didn't talk to the right ones. No, apparently we not. Let you in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. so well, since that was pretty early on, and and now you've gotten to go to Bloomington for this most recent game, can you describe what it's like for you as a former player and a former teammate of Coach Woodson? What does it mean to you to have Coach Woodson leading the program? Oh, I think it's great. I mean, you know, I played with Mike for two years. He's uh, just a class act, great guy. Uh, I think, you know, okay, I've been away from basketball for – uh, quite a bit, so I'm not sure I'm the best judge anymore, but he impresses me as a good coach. I think he's going to do a great job there personally. I think he's got it on the right track. It's not going to happen overnight. I think they have still work to do, but uh, they show a lot of promise. Most importantly, you know, it's a team that now really fights again. Um, I was sitting next to somebody in the game, and, uh, you know, there are two loose balls in a row. They got on the floor and got them, and I was. I said, I don't think there's anything better to see than an Indiana team on the floor getting a loose ball. Um, so, you know, and, and uh, I saw a little bit of, what was the game, uh, uh, Syracuse. Sure. And uh, to come back from 18 down, uh, it, was, yeah, it, was, uh, it was ugly. Their turnovers, you know, <laughs> is not, are not to the level where they need to be. I, I don't think we were allowed to get 26 turnovers in a, in a season, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, uh, you know, I, the game has changed. You're going to get more turnovers, I think now, because you're, you're trying to, you know, move the ball, spread the court more, move the ball more. So I'm sure you're going to have a few more turnovers, but they got to clean that up. Um, but it's, uh, it's fun to watch. Did did you get a tour of the locker room? And yeah, I can't I can't believe that. You know, <laughs> I I uh, <laughs> I told him I said there's too much glass in here. Coach Knight couldn't have <laughs> if you break a few things. I think. <laughs> so that's a good point. I mean, I think that's why they never spent any real money on the facilities before because they yes. just we would break them. <laughs> exactly. It's possible. I had a good laugh with Tom because we were in there and I saw there was, uh, um, I think it was, uh, oh, geez, I'm going to mispronounce his name now. Olidopo or what was? Oladipo. Uh, Oladipo. Um, Oladipo and um, Cody Zeller, I think, donated. Yep. They have they donated one section of the locker room. And so, you know, one of my cheapest friends, Tom Everett, I said to him, I said, well, you know, this is what, past NBA players do, you know, I don't know. I don't know why there isn't something in here called the Abernethy section with all the money that you made from the NBA. <laughs> uh, I do wonder because when you got there, assembly hall was only a few years old 
And I think we're all, oh, it took them forever to update it and give it some more of these modern amenities that recruits need nowadays. But when you were playing there, didn't you feel like you were playing in one of, if not the greatest venue in the country? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, it was, um, it had a unique atmosphere. I think it still does. There's probably something of the shape of the place. I'm glad they refurbished it and, and you know, it'd be a shame to ever uh, move to a different place. I think I don't, I don't think they would ever consider it, but it's, it is unique. And, you know, most importantly, I love the record we had there. <laughs> yeah. We like that too. What was it like walking around campus? What was it right, like for you just mm. visiting campus and seeing, seeing what that was like? It was, it was crazy because I hadn't been there for quite a while. And my wife was looking at me like, uh, are you sure you went to school here? Or did you, did you go to any, because I could remember all the buildings, but I couldn't actually place, you know, well, I think I had a class in here and I had <laughs> something here and I was getting lost, you know, so she was like, <laughs> but it's, it's still a beautiful campus. Really like yes, it. it is. Well, and uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is your wife from France? Is she from Spain? Yeah, a bit of both. A bit of both. Her okay. Mother's Spanish, so, so, but she grew up in France. She's French, but she, their whole family has a huge connection with Spain as well. And, and I assume it was her first experience at, at Assembly Hall. Yeah, yes, it was. Yeah, it was. She, uh, she was um, quite uh, taken by it. I think she'd never been in anything quite like that, so it was kind of fun. A lot of fun. Well, because obviously basketball has gotten very, very popular and advanced in both uh, France and Spain. But there's there's not that really connection in Europe between academic and academic institutions and sports. That's so right. Was exactly it, right. So I'm sure that's a, a very sort of odd for her to see this cathedral of basketball next to this temple of of academia. Is Is it something that she... She likes because my mom's from Germany. She's Hungarian, and she always she's always had a problem with uh, education and sports being together. Does your wife share that that uh, prejudice, or is she down with it? Oh, I no, I don't think she she. But it, obviously, her whole, she was teacher, so oh, okay. her whole thing's about education, and and um, uh, you know, so that's that's. Uh, yeah, but I think that is very European. You know, the Europeans are, uh, you know, they like sports and everything, but they see it in the context of almost in the, you know, old Greek way where, you know, you develop both your mind and your body and they're both equal. And, and so, you know, athletics and, and uh, physical activity play a big role in your development as a human being, but shouldn't be overwhelming. Well, shouldn't take precedent, I guess. Let's just and, say she wouldn't do well in modern day American sports culture. <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. That's right. That's right. I, I don't think any of the past, uh, some of us, uh, uh, I think you guys from the old school and the old team, you know, because, you know, that's always been an emphasis, I think, of us. I'm, it's one of the things that I'm just amazed when I think back on, you know, who I played with and the guys that I played with, um, how, I mean, when I went there as a freshman, the, the, the group of 
players that were at there. You know, John Camstra, just uh, incredibly smart. I think he was, you know, in in uh, business school with an accounting major. Steve Alford, Alford, which was became a doctor. Um, you know, Steve Green, a dentist. Uh, you know, all everybody was still focused on getting an education, and I think that's what makes college sports personally. I think it's what makes it great when it's like that. Otherwise, you know, you have the NBA, which has its own has its own uh, reason for being and in all pro sports. And I like to see, I'm one, of course, you know, I think the, the bullet has left the gun on that or the train left the station would probably be a better expression. Now. <laughs> but, uh, but um, uh, you know, it, it, to me, once you go down that road, you kind of lose what colleges start losing what college sports are about. Yeah. When you saw Woody at French Lick, was that the first time you had seen Woody in quite some time? Oh yeah, it's the first time I've seen um, most of the players other than maybe Tom. Um, and you know, it, a lot of people think it was somehow I just, you know, disowned or disengaged. It was a little bit how life happens, but I think one of the, when I decided to quit basketball and really go, I'm, I'm the kind that when I go into something, I have to just leave behind and go. I didn't expect that I would be gone that long, but through, you know, circumstance and everything and going overseas and living overseas and everything, it just, you know, time drifted. And I think there are two things that pulled me back a lot, which was Wayne Radford's death. Yes. I mean, you know, he was such a great teammate and I, you know, I always had him in my, in my heart still. And, you know, you always think, oh, I'm going to see him sometime. I must see him sometime. And, you know, then I didn't. So <clears throat> I kind of realized, hey, you know, you got to, you got to, these, this has been too big a part of your life. You got to get back into touch with some of these people. And so, uh, and then when Mike Woodson got the job, I mean, that was just perfect occasion for me because, He's, uh, I couldn't have been happier. And when you saw him at French Lick, and I know, you know, there's a lot of people there and people's time is split with shaking hands with a lot of different people. But when you saw him, was it like you were able to just kind of pick up that you were teammates or? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Really? You know, I, I called a few of my talk twists, you know, I had a long conversation with, you know, Scott, uh, Quinn, Jimmy Cruz. And I mean, I got him on the phone. It was just like, you know, there's first they called me back right away. You know, there's no hesitation. And, uh, um, you know, Quinn ends, ends up hanging up. He said, Oh, one more thing. He goes, don't take the ball out of bounds anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to think, I didn't have to think real long about what he was talking about. So <laughs> I tried to remind him that, you know, Scott turned the ball over in that game one time too, but it didn't seem to register with anybody. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, had, he, had, he had the turnover in between when I got pulled off the court, you know. And that our, was the, the infamous uh, scene of Coach Knight yanking you off by your jersey, correct? Yes, yes. So, um, by the way, just to ask you about that, when that happened, did you think anything of it? I mean – not really. 
yeah, I, I was, was more focused on what I did. Right. Uh, you know, it's not the first time, you know, it was, there, there was, you know, when you get literally yanked out of the game, there is a, there is some feeling of it, but I didn't think it was that big a deal. Right. Um, it's funny. My brother was coaching in England or I think he was coaching in England at the time, but anyway, he was in England and in the morning, you know, it was in the, it was in the paper in England and, uh, in London. Wow. I don't remember what paper, if it was actually a, a London, uh, English paper or some, some big paper anyway, that was, he saw, and, uh, you know, he called me, he goes, oh shit, what did you do now? And I, <laughs> <laughs> the hell was that? <laughs> and, and just to set the table for, for younger listeners who don't know exactly what happened is coach Knight yanked you out of the game. And I believe it was a reporter from the Indianapolis star got a photograph of him pulling on your jersey and the AP picked it up and it went viral back in the mid-70s before <laughs> viral was a thing. It got picked up not just nationally but internationally and was really kind of the the birth of Coach Knight's legend as uh, sort of this crazed genius. Yes, I think that's, that's, that's right. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was pretty, pretty bad couple plays. I have to say that. That's what I do remember. <laughs> but Jim, isn't there a isn't there a great story about? Because one of the other things, and we'll get into this too, is we've talked to a lot of former players of Coach Knight who also talk about when he wanted to, he had a great sense of humor. And wasn't there a a, a moment in practice after that where he was on you about learning your press offense, and that if you didn't, he was going to buy you a certain piece of equipment? Yeah, I remember seeing. I remember hearing that. And I think that was the case. I didn't remember it exactly. He said so many things like that to me that it's hard to, it's hard to remember them all. This one, he was he was saying that if you don't learn the press offense, we might as well get you a rip away jersey. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> all right. So, so I, I love. Wanted, oh, I just wanted to circle back to French Lick for a moment because, of course, Coach Knight did get to make it to French Lick for a little bit. And I didn't know, you know, I'm assuming you hadn't really seen him or talked to him for a long time. And, and obviously his health isn't what it was, but what it meant for you to be down there at French Lick when Coach Knight came around. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I had got a chance to say hello. But, yeah, he was – I think he was – did a great job, but I think he was a little bit um, overwhelmed by all all the people that were there. So – um, but no, he's, he, he did a great job when he was there. I have to say, and we, we haven't talked too much about this. Warden, I've had the, the opportunity to spend a little time with him at his home in, in Bloomington in the last year. And look, the guy's mind when it was clicking on all cylinders worked at an incredible rate and, and a very, you know, um, sophisticated genius way. On, on things. And I think that the fact that he can still figure out a way to go up in front of people and talk like he did that, that night, even with the state that he's in, to me, it still speaks to like, there's something there for him that just most people don't have. And it's, it's an impressive thing to me, even as in his um, diminished state. Hmm. Yeah. 
No, I think you're, I think that's that's true. It's, uh, it seems to be about a certain comfort level too. Sure, he only wants to be around people now that is he's at the stage where <clears throat> it would be. You know, he wants to be around people where he's comfortable with. I think. Sure. And that All was right. the ideal setting. Totally. All right. So let's hop in the time machine and go back to Quincy, Illinois. You're a young kid growing okay. up. How do you find the game of basketball? Well, for me, I was, I loved all sports when I was really little. I mean, I played, I would play at everything. And I had a brother who um, was about seven years older than me. And he was six and a half, seven. And he would, um, and he was a pretty good player. And he went on to be a very good international coach. He's still coaching in Japan. Huh. And um, so uh, at, at the pro level there. Uh, he coached all over the world. He's coached several Olympic teams for one time was a coach of the Japan Olympic team. Wow. Um, so, you know, and he was, there's this age difference where, you know, he, he was like a teacher to me, but at the same time, you know, would just be beat me up at everything that we, <laughs> we played. So it was like a, uh, you know, probably a decade long 15 year long schedule, uh, struggle to try to get to his, his level, you know, and I would go along with him. You know, I, I, I started really liking basketball probably when I got to be about seven or eight, when I could finally get the ball up to the basket, you know, it's probably sure. somewhere in there. Um, and then, uh, I really started playing when I was, I guess, in fifth grade with, the with, the um, grade school league that we had there. They had fifth and sixth grade teams, and then they had seventh and eighth. And then uh, and it was in, in a kind of Catholic school uh, league. There are a lot of Catholic schools in Quincy. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, after, after that, I started, you know, by the fifth, sixth grade, I was really kind of head and shoulders above and, and I was pretty tall quickly I, I as well, but I always played guard. You know, I always handled the ball. I was always, uh, and, and it was probably a, a very lucky thing too, because then I went to the public league schools after, after that. And, um, and I played on, you know, for Quincy is one of the, was one of the best basketball programs I think in the country, maybe certainly in the state of Illinois, we had a legendary coach who was really great uh, by the name of Cheryl Hanks. And um, he, uh, he developed a program there that was second to none. So when I went into, as I went into junior high in the ninth grade, you couldn't play um, varsity sports. Uh, it, they, it was a, basically the high school was three years. Uh, and you had a junior high. So when I was a sophomore, I, I, um, I got into, uh, was borderline starting. We were struggling at the start of the season. He put me into the game pretty early. We were playing, I think it was, who was it? Tilden Tech from Chicago Public League was down in Quincy playing. And we were down uh, two points with no time on the clock, but there, it, the buzzer didn't sound. 
so they figured there was something like about a half a second. Mm. We tried to run a play for our, our star player, but it wouldn't materialize. The guy was out of bounds with the ball, and I was just standing at half court as kind of a decoy. Um, so that, but my guy wasn't buying it. He went to our star player to I think double team, and so I called for the ball. So he like had four seconds. He threw it to me, and I hit a half court shot. We went into overtime, and um, so that was kind of my one of my first uh, high school games. That team finished second in the state. Yeah, to, we to who? High star- to who? Finished second. Oh, geez, I hate to I hate to say this because now I have to eat this stuff from Quinn again. But he, <laughs> we. I, I, I like him to say that, well, we, you know, it was because we played an afternoon game, and I think it was a high school scoring record. It was, we, it was a, just a running fast break game, and I think it was against Proviso East. We, were, we won by 10-something, 102-103 to 95, something like that, 96-7. It was fairly close, but we were in control of the game the whole way. That was, and they used to play the the afternoon game or, and then the evening game for the championship. And so I, you know, I like to say it's that we're worn out, but that team was so good. They would have beaten us at any time of the day or night, I think. And did you, as they, as they did did everybody else. So did you know Quinn at that time, like even by reputation? By, By reputation. I mean, I heard he was, I think they won the state the year before. So they won it two years in a row. And um, so, you know, he he was, I, I've heard of him and all that. But, you know, when I showed up to the game, it was obviously, he was already like a real man. I was a sophomore. Right. <laughs> that didn't change, that didn't change much for the next seven years, I think. <laughs> <laughs> he, but uh, that was one of the great high school teams, I think, of all time. So, so I, I, I really wish, I really would love to have had to play them at least on a neutral night. Maybe we would only lost by 20. I don't know. <laughs> so so you, you had two great mentors in a way coming up, your older brother and then a great high school coach. And I'm just wondering if, if even now thinking back on it, you know, what's, what's something you, you learn from your brother that helped prepare you for what was coming in Bloomington? And then was there something else maybe you really took from your high school coach that helped you become part of something so special in Bloomington? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess there's many, many things. Jim, Jim, one of our rules here is you don't tell Ward it was a good question. He doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. It was was certainly a hard one because there's so much. you know, my brother, I think one of the things he taught me was uh, a lot of toughness. You know, I think when you have a seven-year-old, six-and-a-half-year-older brother, um, you know, you're constantly striving to to match him uh, uh, and probably in some cases get his praise. Uh, you know, he would take me to games where he was playing and the pickup games and it was the winning team stayed on the court, loser team had to sit. And the next group of guys came in and played the winning team. 
And it would get down about after three or four games where people would leave and there would be like one spot open. And my brother would say, uh, my little brother could fill in. So I started playing with the, you know, bigger guys. And uh, that was kind of how I was always growing up playing against guys older and better and, and things like that. So, and plus he, he just knew, my brother knew the game even pretty young. Uh, although now he's, he's really knows the game a lot better than me. That's for sure. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then, you know, my high school coach was just, he gave me a lot of confidence, you know, mm. and he great team coach, uh, very different style than, than, uh, in terms of what he coached and how we played. It was, I, I was a big pick and roll player. Uh, with the guard, you know, it would be more conducive probably to where the game is today right. and kind of the motion offense. I would have loved to have had the three-point play or three-point shot. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, so it was, he, he just, he was one of these guys that was just, uh, you know, an ex-Marine, fought over in World War II, uh, but it just really had a swagger and a confidence about him that he installed in his teams. And he played with a lot of confidence. I read um, in some different places that there were actually, while the styles were different, that there were some similarities in how Coach Knight and Coach Hanks ran their programs, just how organized they were and disciplined they yes. were. Yes. Um, do, do you think that that helped you when you went to – Bloomington, oh, uh, absolutely, yeah. and his and his practices were run very hard. Uh, you know, we played hard. The competition was great. Uh, the second team, we you know we had they had a role to play, um, even if they weren't necessarily playing. Right, um, and you know it was the same kind of team uh, dynamic of where it was all about our goal as a team. Um, we had role, you know, it's, people understood their roles. Uh, uh, you know, I went from being a real kind of support guard as a, as a um, real facilitator as a sophomore. Um, we had a guy that played at Iowa. He was a really good high school player, but pretty short by the guy named Larry Moore. And he was scoring 30 some points. Then I played with a, my junior year. We were the best team in the state. And we only lost one game in the regular season. And then we played um, a team in the super section that had Norman Cook, who went on to Kansas, mm -hmm. and lost to them, having, having been up about 12 points. I really think we should have won this state title that year, but uh, kind of blew it in that game. And I played with a guy called Bob Spear, who was actually the captain of the All-State team. And wow. uh, one of the smartest players I've ever played with. He just, you know... If you figure he he averaged twenty eight points and I was I averaged like eighteen that year and had a big assist guy I mean I had a lot of assists but if you looked at the it was a guy that scored you know twenty seven points twenty six points average he didn't touch the ball more than uh, you know a couple minutes if you added them all up on the on the court on the you know during the game he he. 
back door just at the right time, you know, uh, when I was going up for a lot of times for even a shot and you just saw him had long arms and he threw his arms up in the air and he threw the ball anywhere within five feet of him, he'd catch it and put it in the basket. And um, so, you know, we had a really great team. We went up to Proviso East and played them up there and blow, blew them out of the court, off the wow. court. And they were one of the top five teams in the state that year. Yeah. So a lot of history. And then my senior year, we, we didn't have anybody that was over 6'2". Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to the super section of, of the state. And I had this guy, you know, I knew I had score. Uh, that year I just you know I would I would well I'd get the opening tip and if I didn't spread the court out you know we had a guy that could really operate in the center but he needed room because he was short and so I just tried to spread the court out by hitting jump shots from from far out at first making them have to respect that and then you know we go from there we got on a run at the end of the season we won eight straight games and but then again, had a lead and fell short in this super sectional. So I never got the state title, but came fairly close several times. And then uh, I was on sort of, you know, I always, I always kind of laugh at that because one time I saw they named all the Indiana players that were McDonald's All-American. And I kind of thought I should have qualified because it was actually called the Capital Classic, the McDonald's Capital Classic at the time. But it was the the uh, national all-star high school all-star right. team but we played i think it was i don't remember if it was the math uh, the washington dc area all-stars i think and it was kind of the precursor to the mcdonald's classic oh. where they, i think one or two years after they split it off and you played you know east against the west or okay. however they divided we're, we're declaring it you were a burger boy you were an yeah. original burger boy <laughs> We have that kind of authority here. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So then so, I always played in the Derby Classic, another one. But, uh, you know, I, I I remember, I think you're probably going to ask me when I committed to IU and how that all went. Yeah. Hey, you just roll. We don't even need to be here. But you're right. <laughs> uh, so uh, I think it was my after my junior year in high school. I have to think of the years, but I think that was right. When we lost the game I was talking about, my brother took me to the NCAA finals in your hometown, yes, uh, St. Louis, and uh, I saw Indiana. I th- I'd already been Knight started recruiting me pretty early, and I'd already been in touch with him, with the pro with, with the program. Assistant coaches had been in touch, and they expressed a really strong interest. And so um, I went to the game, not invited or whatever. I just went to the game to see. So I saw the final four there and, um, you know, I really liked what I saw, uh, you know, how could you not, but it was a young, I mean, I, th- I think at the time it's hard to think about how fresh the way they played was. It was kind of a new era of basketball in some ways. Was it really to my strengths? In fact, what was one of the things my brother was saying, you know, you got to think about it because you're, they don't run pick and roll if it's a motion offense and you know you're really good off the dribble and and uh you know kind of a score making things happen um but i didn't really care so much about that i figured if i was a good enough player i can learn any system you know and um you know 
that it just felt good the, the the way I saw how they conducted themselves on the floor, how they competed. Uh, uh, the unity of the team was mm-hmm. unbelievable. Um, I could see that they got the most out of. I mean, just to play that UCLA team close and really had a chance to win Should it. Should have beat them. Should have beat yeah. them. They called a bad foul on Steve Downing. <laughs> yeah, I kind of remember it. I don't. I, I don't. I don't, uh, I should go back and see that because I do kind of remember it. And I remember there is a controversial kind of thing, but I didn't yeah. think so much of, it was hard also not to notice how, I mean, Walton, I think, played one of the great college games of all time. Yeah. But, um, or was it the final where he played the No, 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 Walton was amazing in that game. Walton was amazing. Yeah. I think it was the whole the whole tournament, yeah. but um, anyway. Uh, so I went back and I can't remember. Then afterwards, I was I was pretty convinced going into my senior year. I mean, Indiana was a clear front runner with me, and then um, and then uh, I decided to visit four other schools i said okay i'll pick one from each conference that i kind of major conference hmm. and and uh i was pretty heavily recruited at the time so sure. i decided i went to north carolina state um in the acc and i had a weekend with uh david thompson and monty oh. monty Tao, was it yeah yeah uh, but i i you know and they just won the national championship Think. Right in 73, uh, right? Yeah, 73 was it? I think, and, was, I think that's when NC State won with David Thompson. Yeah, so I would, I, I, I can't, it seemed like it was that year. I don't remember my is failing me, but these guys were like gods on campus, you know, and they were, but I said, oh my God, if I go here, I won't survive the partying. <laughs> 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 and so, so, no, but I, I I visited there. I went to Georgia. I don't know why. I don't remember why Georgia. Then I was supposed to visit uh, Raveling at Washington. Was it Washington State or Washington? I'm not sure where. George Raveling was yeah. a coach of, and it was getting to be the time. And Knight called and said, "Hey, we really kind of want to know if you're if you're coming and all that." And I said, "You know, Coach, I'm." 90% sure, but I've got one more visit. And he said, why do you want to make the visit? And I said, well, I don't really, to be honest. And I said, I'll, I'll sign. So I didn't actually go out there. And um, so, yeah, the, that was, you know, I, I think it, it impressed both my high school coach, my mother and father, the emphasis on the academics the fact that it was such a solid program, uh, the, that there was clearly no cheating going on, no nothing else, you know. Uh, you know, my mother is, uh, I had an unbelievable mother, father to both parents. And, you know, it was very much, she was the kind that, you know, I still, I still have to this day all the kind of things that she would always tell me, you know. She was also calling me Jimmy, I forgot that a lot of times. <laughs> if I was really in trouble, it was, James, it was James Anthony Wisman. You come here, or something, you know. <laughs> but otherwise, I think she said, "Give me a lot." And um, 
she said, you know, Jimmy, there's always a right way and a wrong way to do everything. And if you just learn the right way, it's so much, it becomes as easy to do as the wrong way or any of the wrong ways that there are. There's only one right way to do it. Just learn that way. And it was about everything that way. You know, if it was making your bed or, or uh, cleaning up or, you know, or, or dress, the way brushing your teeth, who knows what. You know, and, and she was just really like that. And, and everything was very simplified about, you know, what you had to do. And um, so that kind of culture, that kind of attitude, I think, really fit. Um, no, no. Can I just jump in for a second? Because what I find interesting here is this is Coach Knight as a really young coach. He has not won a national championship yet. He has not become the Bob Knight yeah. that we all know now. What was it about him that those things um, came through in your recruitment? What was it about him that that you um, that you saw that he was doing it the right way? What? How, how did he communicate? I mean, I think he was just, you know, he had a, he had a real way. I think he was just very direct. That was the one thing. And, um, you know, he didn't carry all the baggage with him that he developed later in his coaching career. Right. So, you know, it was, it was fresh. It was, there's, uh, he didn't use the language that he usually uses in practice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So that got by my mother, thank God. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, and it wasn't only him, it was the other coaches too. You know, everyone just just talked to the right thing. Although, and it was, there was no bullshit. It was just right. straightforward and, you know, really emphasis on, you know, hey, one thing, I can't guarantee you anything other than your kid's going to get an education. Hmm. And... Um, you know, and, and he's and he's going to learn how to play the game hard and right. That's about, you know, all he promised. And, um, you know, that's, I think, spoke to myself and the people that were around me. It wasn't a real hard decision. Um, you do you know, remember visiting Indiana? Yes, I do. And what, and what, was, what do you remember from that visit? Uh, the, you know, the same thing. I mean, as soon as I I met the, t the players, I think uh, Laskowski was there, took me around, Abernethy, who uh, was one of the players, I, you know, I, I think I met with most of them. Um, I remember it was during the off-season, I wanted to go play or something, and they thought I was crazy. They said, well, what the hell are you talking about? We're I said, that's are you guys playing at all? You know, and I was like, you know, out of high school. And they go, today? Are you kidding? <laughs> it's the off season. <laughs> did you did you reconnect with Quinn? Was there any acknowledgement that you had played each other a couple of years earlier? Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't I don't really remember exactly the first meeting with him. Um, but, you know, just the quality of the people. I mean, I do remember that. I don't remember specifically, you know, what we talked about. But, uh, you know, and it really bore out when I got there as a freshman. First off, I'll tell you a story, though. The first day of, my very first day of practice, I come 
you know, on the floor. And all of a sudden, Bruce Knight says, Wisman, where are you? Where, where the hell is Wisman? You know, and, and I said, I'm over there right here. You know, I was thinking, what the hell did I do now? You know, he said, get on the line, start running washboards or whatever they're called at the time. You know, free throw line back, half court yep. back, three quarters court back. So I start doing it. I said, okay. So I start running, you know, and I could kind of tell the look on other faces that they knew something was up, you know, but I was thinking at first, Jesus, what did I do, you know? And then I figured it was something, one of his, so I, you know, I, he let me go for like two or three, you know, and here I'm all ready to, you know, start practice. And I think he wore me out in 10 minutes, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> ruined my whole first practice, but I'm running. <laughs> And all of a sudden he goes, you do know why I'm making you run, don't you? And I said, no, why, why, you know? Well, if you don't know, I guess you're gonna have to keep running, you know? <laughs> so I run a few more. And then he goes, uh, you know, you, you do know, right? He goes, has it come to you yet? And I said, no, it hasn't. He goes, this is for making me drive over to Quincy, Illinois to recruit you. <laughs> <laughs> that is phenomenal. I mean, that is so good. <laughs> so by the time he was done with his antics, I mean, I was already worn out. I wasn't ready to take on Quinn Buckner and Bobby Wilkerson. <laughs> right. Well, well I want to get that's, to yeah. yeah, that's like the the really the welcome to college moment. Once you you uh, survive the first hazing from your coach, you're obviously you had played Quinn before. So, so this wasn't your first rodeo in that department, but did you notice from day one that it was going to be a lot harder to be a good college basketball player than a good high school basketball player? Absolutely. I mean, uh, I'll tell you uh, the story and, you know, people would, won't believe it today, but, you know, first I arrived and I'm rooming with Larry Bird. Yeah, I mean, we got to get into it. Let's let's tell your story first, and then we'll get into it. Well, that. it's kind of, it's kind of connected because okay, you right. know, be, even before practice started, you know, we went over and started before October fifteenth. I think was the official day. Yeah. So we started playing, you know, and um, I mean, when you went over there, it's just like you know, it's another it's another league. You really see, and there. Larry Bird was in the same place. Now, I'm not saying he was the same player that, <laughs> that, that I was, but at that point in time, I think it would have been, it seemed it was as hard for him to, to get to, to reach the level of Scott May, Steve, yeah, Steve Green was there, Steve Green, uh, Abernathy Laskowski than I had with Buckner Wilkerson. You know, it was just, there was another level and that had to be achieved. Now, with history, with a with the help of history, Larry may have gotten there a hell of a lot quicker than I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was clearly that was the case. I mean, same with Wayne was a little bit more developed, stronger. You got the feeling that, you know, he he was... But even skill-wise, you know, he was turning the ball over or uh, succumbing to the pressure or whatever. But, I mean, for me, it was also uh, just a strength thing. And, I mean, I have to tell you, you know, I I felt I became a really good ball handler and protector of the ball by the time I was a senior. And, I mean, a lot of it came from 
two years of bringing the ball up the court and practice every day with, I think, the two best guard defenders maybe in the history of college basketball. Right. I mean, and they were unbelievable. I mean, you know, first you had Bobby Wilkerson. You, you have to kind of imagine about a six seven hawk or eagle. <laughs> <laughs> with, a wins, with a wingspan of what that would be like. Right. And I mean, he had an incredibly quick, incredibly fast. And then you had, you know, a cornerback <laughs> in Quinn Buckner. And one beat down on you and the other one beat up on you. And, uh, and also in an environment where, you know, hey, you're not calling every foul. And, right. you know, you don't have the luxury to say, oh, you fouled me and take the ball out right. <laughs> you know you'd probably get kicked out of practice if you called it foul so uh yeah it was it was uh, it was an experience w was there a specific story though you were going to tell us that that related to larry or was no it just just that you know people was. people wouldn't believe that you know i i'm i'm sure you know by his sophomore year um you know he and the national championship team, I'm sure, but he would have, you know, been a big help to the team. I'm sure, given what we know about him, and I'm sure we would have loved my junior year. It would have been a whole different story if he was still there. Right. But but, you know, I, it's funny to see. I don't know when it changed or how it changed, but you don't get the impression. Maybe it's because you had four-year people all the time, but you don't get the impression that the leap from high school to college is the same now than it was then. Hmm. Uh, I found it, I found it was, a, it was, I'm sure it wasn't, I mean, someone like Quinn, it wasn't, he was already built when he came out of high school. He was, you know, for some players, but I mean, Scott May was just, uh, I mean, he was just the best college player. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think people realized that was weren't around that team, how head and shoulders better he was than everybody that year. The only wow. his senior year, particularly, I don't, I, I don't, I think the only one that came close to him maybe was Adrian Dantley, but he wow. had none. But he had none of the consistency, and um, and just uh, poise. I don't, you know, he was a different story. He was trying to carry, I think, more of the team on his shoulders but scott just already even made mistakes you know he just he just uh, uh and was just very efficient as a player too so so tell us quickly though the story of so your roommates with larry and yes. he didn't last all that long no was that what was that like when he decided to go away and did you know did you have a sense that this guy was not going to make it yeah he did and you know hindsight is is everything but um you know that's a story that by the way is in my opinion and i'm not going to get into his side because i don't read people's you know and, and if someone wants to talk about their own problems they need to talk about them i'm, I'm not going to talk about them um but there's two things that were really clear to me was one is that he wasn't comfortable in the university i think he was carrying a lot of a lot of things with him when he mm -hmm. came, came that I, I say I'm not equipped to, to ascertain and get into. 
Um, I think secondly, um, uh, he, my opinion, didn't like the fact that, you know, when you came, you were kind of a freshman and you were recruited and then all of a sudden, you know, you're a freshman. Right. You're and, low rung on the ladder. And Knight has the, 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 I remember he said it one time, you know, to me when I tried to say something, freshmen are to be seen and not heard. <laughs> 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 and so, you know, that was kind of, so, you know, and I think, I think you probably at that point needed a little bit more. Uh, I, I personally really liked him. And I got, I thought I was getting along with him well. Uh, he was funny. He was really a great practical joker, had an unbelievable sense of humor, but he was clearly, you know, not happy. He was telling me, and I, I was trying to tell him, Larry, go talk to the coach. Said, no, I don't want, they don't want to talk, don't talk to me. I, you know, I don't want, I think there was, I heard later he saw one of the coaches or whatever, Coach Knight or whatever, and it, I, I don't, don't know the whole story. But anyway, yeah, the, the story was that he was walking on campus, saw Coach Knight, you know, before practice started, obviously, wanted to, like, have a conversation, and Knight just, just you know, drive by, like, didn't even acknowledge him. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's true either, but that story's been told many times. Yeah. And so so he, he uh, I don't know if it's true either, so he never, he, he did, he grumbled about, you know, the fact that, coaches are kind of you know non-existent or whatever i don't remember right. but i think the main thing was he didn't really feel at home he went to classes and they're really big and you know it's true I, I saw it when i was back again and i was saying how did i get myself to which building on my first day of my <laughs> freshman year right after i was lost again and so um you know i think there was a lot of that and then he uh he was talking, I, I remember I had a conversation, I said, but Larry, but what, you know, uh, I was saying, you came here to play basketball and also go to school, obviously, but, you know, we haven't even started practice yet. Stay, you already lost a year's eligibility. You know, right. stay, go through practice, see how it works. Oh, I just not, you know, uh, it's not right. He was talking already. I should have, you know, I think he had a relationship with the coach of um, uh, where he went to Indiana State. Indiana State. And um, so he was saying something about that. I, I don't remember exactly. And But I thought, and I said, so what are you going to do if you leave? You know, you, you I'm going to go back and get my summer job back. And I said, well, what was that? Oh, I was, I, I was working for the city on the, uh, I don't know what sanitary clean up the city uh, maintenance or whatever. And I said, I mean, you gotta be kidding. To me, it's one of the all time stories about someone following his heart and yeah. just, you know, having the, I guess you have to say at the end, the courage and the fortitude i mean it seemed like a very dumb decision but <laughs> he and i thought then okay maybe it's going to pass he's and then he i came back one i said you call, let me go talk to the coach he, don't talk don't i don't want you to talk to the coaches and so i 
you know, he said, and so I said, okay, well, you should go. And he said, no, 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 I'll see you or whatever. And then he ends up leaving. I thought maybe he was gone. I came back one day and he was gone. So I went to the coaches then and told him, you know, hey, I think he's left, you know, he was talking. And, and the coaches, now this, this is, I have to tell because it, just to set the story straight, because, you know, I didn't hear anything about Larry Bird for then three years. Um, I thought, okay, they're going to go at least talk to him or whatever. But I think it was like, hey, if he doesn't want to be here, you know, it's not for everybody. You have to, you have to want to be here. Yeah, I guess was their attitude. But nobody talked about it. Nobody, you know, it's his choice. He left. I didn't hear anybody going and talk. About the time of the NBA draft, <laughs> you know, it, it started a little bit, I think, when uh, I was already graduated then, but then his senior year, because he sat out a year, you know, I started hearing rumblings about how did this guy get out of Indiana? How did they let him go, you know, and all this. And then when he, you know, about the time of the NBA draft, when and he went, and when he got rookie of the year, yeah. <laughs> then it was like, so, you know, in my opinion, there needed to be some story, you know? Right. And, and so, so I think it was Coach Knight said, oh, yeah, I should have never roomed him with Jim Wisman. Uh, <laughs> you know, he uh, he's a guy that, that uh, you know, knew how his way around campus. He knew how to talk to women. He was... You know, uh, and he had all kinds of, of clothes. Now, my suspicion is Larry didn't want to get into why he left Indiana either. Right. And so that was a good story for him to buy onto, too. It's not, not the way I saw it, but okay, maybe it was. But anyway, it doesn't seem to hold a lot of water. I mean, if you just think about it logically, a guy as smart as Larry Bird gets to be uh works his ass off to get to go to a college scholarship he gets into uh the dorm room opens the closet and said oh this guy has too many clothes i think i'll leave <laughs> <laughs> yeah does not seem to hold up yes i mean and no reporter even you know dug beyond that it just became the story that everyone was kind of running right. it got printed in books and stuff and you're I'm the like, guy you're the reason i'm, <laughs> I'm like holy hell man <laughs> it started it started my distrust of media <laughs> well we're we're here we're here to before that but to hammer that home i i will say this uh until um sort of digging in specifically on your story in which that story cropped up I feel like it's just been conventional wisdom for as long as I've ever heard. Why didn't Larry Bird stay? It's that the campus was too big. Everything was overwhelming. Maybe Kent Benson hazed him a little too much. But it wasn't until digging in for this interview that I actually heard you were the one to blame. So it's sort of been yes. lost to the sands of time. Well, I'm glad I brought it back up. No. Yeah, I blame you and your nice clothes. Yeah. Um, anyway, anyway um, yeah, but I, I think the real story that's just amazing that I still think about sometimes is how this guy, because I can tell you still had a lot, lot of development to do uh, when I saw him. 
how he could go back to French Lick for a year and resurface as one of college basketball's best players. And he could have only almost done it on his own. Yeah, and incredible. And, uh, you know, because I remember saying when I came back and saw him gone, I said, what a blown opportunity. This guy I'll never hear from again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, did he have some magical coach down in Fred Slick or did he just go there and work his ass off with a determination that, you know, almost nobody but him could have done. I think it's probably the latter. Right. And uh, it's just uh, incredible to me. It is. So, Did you cross paths with him ever again? No, you know, and it's, and I really regret it. Um, but, you know, after he became so famous, first off, I was kind of mad. Yeah. I understood it. I understood him. I mean, I, I, you know, it's his choice, but I was kind of mad because I felt it was, we were kind of left in the lurch. I mean, we, we had one scene, one guy ahead of us, four recruits as a, as my freshman year. So by the time all these guys left, you know, instead of having one senior and four freshmen or four juniors at that time, we had one senior and three juniors mm -hmm. and you know it was a it was a big hole i think i personally think there should have been more players recruited but that's neither here nor there they had a pretty good class coming in again after but we were really green you know they're they're all green and we didn't and when rich validicious left yep but i think he left after that junior year after my junior year but he, he might have been there for the junior year, not to think about it. But for my senior year, we got more Ray Tobert and all that came in. So it was, but we were left my junior year pretty, I think, kind of shorthanded, especially when Brent, Benny was playing with injuries most of the year. Yeah, it is interesting when you look at the recruiting classes. Your recruiting class obviously got hurt because Bird leaves. Um, obviously you and, and Wayne Radford there, but the next year, you know, Bob Bender, Scott Eels, Valavicious, and Jim Roberson, um, only a couple of those guys really make an impact. It really isn't until your junior year that Coach Knight really kind of restocks when, when Butch Carter and Mike Woodson come to town. Um, but let's go yes. back to your freshman yeah. year because, and we don't need to yeah. go through game by game, but here's what I find amazing. Most people, when they go in their freshman year, it's like, all right, you're going to go to a team. You've got to develop. you got to get better. You know, the team's really got to grow. You guys just kicked everyone's ass right from the beginning. I mean, you had an overtime game against Kansas in the non-conference, but then you just blow everyone out. What yeah, was I, it like? And you actually had to deal with some injuries that year, right? I think you hurt your hand early in that year. Did I, yeah, it was it that year? That's true. I did hurt my hand for a while. I, but what was it like just being on this team that is just winning all the time? Uh, it, was just, it was just amazing. But first off, as a freshman, I, I, I'd have to go back and look at the stats. But I bet I played in two-thirds. You two did. You played a lot. Two-thirds of the games. Yes. Because he was just wanting to develop players. And, you know, I mean, I mean it, we're like – 
I always say about that team, I've asked that team versus the, the following year. And I, I could just sum it up by the 75, the 70, uh, 75 team was a team that just beat people. And the 75, 76 team was a team that couldn't be beaten. Mm. Ooh, that is interesting. And, that is such a, what, what's the difference there? Why, why the difference, do you think? Well, and I don't mean to suggest that the other team, well, obviously we were beaten, so it's, it has. But at, given that year that happened, I mean, that team just beat people. I mean, we, we were just 30 points up at half most of the time, uh, in many games, many, many games. And so I was playing a lot the second half. Uh, a lot of people were, but, uh, you know, he was, it, it was the worst position to be in was a senior sub or even, I, I probably didn't come too far from playing as much, or Wayne maybe, I think he might have played a little more than me, uh, as much as Tom Abernathy, who was the sub that they were using when a sub mattered, you know? Right, right. Because if they're, he kind of got thrown in with the first team. Why play all the, the, them all the time too? You know, so oh, I see. So that. a lot of us got a lot of playing time in certain games. You played in twenty-three games your freshman year. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So, uh, so we played what 30, 30 games? games, thirty-three games. So yeah, it's two-thirds. Not bad. No. Um. So, uh, anyway, it was. I mean, as I said, I think what. What, what impressed me, I can't tell you how much respect I had for guys like Steve Alford. I mean, this was a tough, tough guy uh, and practiced every day. Doug Allen. Yeah. I think he made Scott May a better player. It was so funny when, you know, when Scott breaks his arm, he comes back to practice. The first thing Doug does, you know, Scott tries to post him up. Doug's fighting around. He whacks him on the arm. <laughs> and, he, wow. and he's going and he goes what you think that's not going to happen to you in the game when you get in there <laughs> you <know? laughs> it's like wow. are you ready to play or not you know you're going to get in the game they're going to whack your arm <laughs> mm. wow <laughs> and you know that's that's the way that's the way that the the uh the the the, the, the competition and practice uh you know and a lot of times you know when you're on the second team, you have a little bit more freedom too. Sometimes, especially if we're going to go up a team that has a shooting guard, you know, Knight doesn't mind it. You shoot in practice. Didn't really want me to shoot too much in the games, you know, it wasn't in our offense, but in practice, you're playing. And, you know, you hit a few shots on Quinn and Bobby and you just see smoke coming out of their ears, you know. It's like, <laughs> I, call, I called, uh, I called, offered the, uh, the Matador uh, behind, because, the moment that every once in a while, you know, Coach and I would say, okay, Jimmy, put on a red shirt, get on the first team, you know. And when he'd see a red shirt on another guard, he was like, uh, actually like a bull with the matador. I call him the bull. He was like the, the you know, I was like the matador and he was, the, you know, bull. He just couldn't stand to see that color red <laughs> on, on my back. He just came <laughs> after know, you? So, yeah, you know, I mean, just the intensity of the, the practice, but they were just great guys. I mean, and it wasn't about there. If, if but if you earned it, everyone respected that, and it was all about making each other and the team better. Can any the point, moment practice ended? 
Sorry. Go ahead, Ward. Was there any any moment or game that it dawned on you, and maybe it wasn't you know until even the next year that you realized, oh, this isn't just a really good team playing really well. This is a historically great team. Like I did, I just walked into something that's going to be remembered for a really long time. Did that occur to you at some point? I can't remember a specific time, but you know, you know we were, I would guess, probably somewhere mid-season. You know, after you're beating almost everybody. And I think when we started getting into the Big Ten, because the Big Ten was really good. And another guy I, I just love and had such a great time with uh, being around was Steve Green. I mean, I think people forget how good he was. Yeah. You know, he was, Scott was great his senior year and next grade his junior year. Uh, and Steve Green was even, you know, adding another dimension to the team, even beyond, you know, Scott at that point in time. Uh, with his shooting, he was great, you know, corner shooter. Mm. And, and um, you know, so in uh, an Abernathy he came in as a pretty strong defensive player, if I remember, you know, when Steve uh, got tired or had a matchup or whatever that wasn't necessarily disadvantage or, so there was a lot of comp and then Laskowski, I forgot about it. He was just like a super sub and everybody played their role. Nobody cared about, you know, who scored the most points. And it just is, it was something that I, the way I always loved to play the game anyway. Um, even as a high school that was in, in high school, it was installed to me. Uh, but, uh, you know, when you're around that group of people, you really see it just gets so the dynamic of the team has just become so much stronger stronger in your mind how it works uh, how you need to support each other how you need to push each other um and yeah it, it had to be probably as we started getting into the big 10 season i saw that this team was you know really rocking and rolling so we on this show we like to uh quickly speed over losses so we won't talk too much about how that season ends with scott breaking his arm and 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 what happened there at the end yeah but it does set the table of course that was a big letdown yeah i'm sure but it does set the table for the 75 76 team uh a few new guys come in but you lose like you said some key seniors like steve green and john leskowski and alfeld and camstra doug allen those seniors are gone uh, you're in your sophomore year. Do you oh, Don, remember- Don Nord, I remember too. Don is a really classic guy. <laughs> he was okay, go on. I just was trying to remember all No, it's I great. Think. So do you remember um, Coach Knight basically laying down the gauntlet to everybody after the, the way that 75 ended to basically say there's only one thing to do next year, which is win every damn game? Yeah, I, I really felt this from day one. This was a team on a mission. That's why I say it is a team that couldn't be beaten because it, it had taken forward that experience and that loss and that understanding of how quickly it can just disintegrate mm. and be gone. 
And so that was really ingrained in the mentality of that team and from day one. I mean, from I don't remember what he said at practice, but I remember something to the effect when we opened practice, it was like, hey, only two goes here. And they're, they're almost, uh, you know, Big Ten championship and NCAA championship. You know, nothing short of those two will be a success. Wow. You know, and, and that was kind of the mentality. And it wasn't that we were, you know, okay, going 32-0 and 0 or that, you know, we we're only thinking about the national championship. It was about every day doing and keeping your eye on the ball and doing the things that you needed to do to keep getting better and do what you needed to do that moment to make sure that it doesn't slip through our fingers again. And it was really, you know, a team that played day to day. Well, one of those days in that year, you turned 20 years old on the same day that you played Minnesota. Yes. Do you remember this game? Yes, I do. It's so funny because I think to start on, on the, I, I remember, uh, funny story leading up to it because we're we're struggling and that's another thing that team during it, it, I, it's nothing in my opinion to the toughest times of the junior years my junior year in practice sure. but you would have thought that that team was like a 500 team in practice you know? <laughs> it was we, we the practices were and, and we were struggling i don't remember i think it was ohio state we played a little before might have been the game before. Yeah, that was a tight game. You only won by two. And we didn't. We really didn't play very well. And I, I remember I didn't get in the game. So we're flying back. I can't remember if we're flying back or flying to Minnesota. Or it's, but all, all of a sudden, and it was so funny. We used to have that D. What do you call those planes? D something. D thirty nine planes. We used to fly on that sit like, you know, at an angle that when it stops, the tail falls to the ground and, uh, and it flies, it doesn't, can't, it only flies at a certain altitude. Huh. And so it's not a pressurized cabin. So it can't go, you know, it's, it, and we flew those, we flew that plane all around the big 10. And so, you know, and the pilot, we had a, you know, great pilot, but he used to get, absolutely crazy when we get on the plane sometime and coach Knight would be walking up and down the plane when it's we're taking off you know and <laughs> and the pilot would say uh coach you got to sit down and he'd you know turn around and say you fly the you know plane i'll just say that yeah, you yeah. fly the plane and i'll coach the team okay <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you know he was breaking probably every aviation rule in the in the sky anyway uh, he's sitting up front and i saw him talking and so you know the team was kind of a, in a fairly stoic mood and all of a sudden i hear jimmy come up here so i come up to the front you know i'll go to the front of the plane he sits me down and he goes you've been i just want to i want wanted to tell you you've been playing really well lately and i'm sitting there going I didn't get into the game. What what the hell are you talking about? You know, <laughs> I guess maybe you met practice, but I think I was a beneficiary of not having to play in that last game. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so and he goes, uh, you're going to start the next game. I'm going, I'm going to start. Okay. You know, and he goes, uh, yeah, no, I, you know, you have, here's what I want you to do. You don't have to, you know, I just want, want you to do the job, get the ball where it needs to be done, you know, play our defense the way we play it, blah, 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 blah. So I okay, okay. So I come back and Quinn's back and he goes, what did he say? What did he say to you? And I said, oh, I just told told me that I'm starting in place of you. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw, you know, he was looking like that. He, you know, he was, took it. It's very supportive, all of that. Huh. And then, you know, we get into the game and they were, they were playing a, a, you know, I think they said, okay, this is an opportunity of, you know, if we have the five guys on the floor, we want one having to make the basket, force him to, you know. So they were playing a zone and kind of trying to sag in the middle. So I just started taking the shots when they came. And I think I, I don't think I missed a shot that game. I don't remember exactly. Well, we do. You were five yeah. of five for 12 points and seven assists. Although there is some anecdotal stuff that maybe you missed the first shot of the game and then made five in a row and it just didn't get recorded in the box score. So we say the box score is the definitive history. You did not miss a shot. You were five of five from the floor, two of two from the free throw line. You played all 40 minutes in that game. Yes, that's a, I thought so. And so then I remember after the game, you know, it, it was, uh, I think, I, maybe I got this wrong. I can't, you know, I, don't, I can't remember all the details. But it seemed like it was then hard to say, okay, now I'm going to bench him. Um, so I think I started the next game. And uh, at that point, we had practices in between, if my memory serves me correctly. And by that point, Quinn wanted his job back. You know, <laughs> he was <laughs> it was enough of of playing nice in the sandbox. Now I'm gonna, you know, show him. You know, so he do do those kinds of things. And obviously, Quinn was the starter of this team. Uh, I was very lucky to have a chance to. Just it didn't matter if you start or not to play uh, at some key moments, and that was certainly one of them. Uh, but the, you know, starting lineup of that team is the starting lineup of that team, and there's no five better starters that ever probably played college basketball. So I had no illusions. I just knew that you know, if it, it, that's the thing with Coach Knight is everybody's going to get their moment because he's going to get pissed off at just about everybody at some point in time. <laughs> I, I will say to correct the record, it probably it was actually against Purdue that you guys because both your Minnesota games were right after Purdue games, and both the Purdue games were like three, four point narrow victories. Oh yeah, um, so and I do wonder. The, I remember we were struggling in several games at that point. We were, we were, there were weren't play, we weren't playing our best basketball. Being an Illinois guy, by by this point, had you fully come to appreciate the rivalry with Purdue and really with Kentucky? Are, are those things that, that were ingrained in you uh, by that point and you took them to heart? Or were you kind of like, ah, I'm not from here, I don't really get it? 
Yeah, a little bit, but not really. Uh, you know, first off, Purdue in those years, I mean, for the first two years, it was hard for me to see any one team as a rivalry other than maybe Kentucky because they stole something big from us. Yeah. But, you know, we beat Purdue four times. Um, hmm. um, I, wait, Jim, wait, wait, but there is also... Can you just what? say that again? Can you just say that again? <laughs> I like how it sounded. Well, in the two first two years, the four times we played them, we, we won. Yeah. And so, true. so you know, I was going into my junior year. I, um, but I think it had more to do with the mentality. I mean, you know... That team was all about the real opponent is ourselves. You know, it's playing to your potential. It's taking one game at a time. It's not. It's not overlooking anybody. Hmm. Uh, they're all. They're all. Anybody is capable of beating you if if you if you're not up to up to par. And you know, so it, it, we didn't really look at one team. I I always thought. There is something always with the Purdue, Kentucky, I th think even more because mm. they were usually a better rated team in the country at yeah. that point in time. And so, but I, you know, I always felt also going to Ohio State, you know, Knight for being his alma mater, I, I always felt there's something around that game too um, that maybe took on, on a little bit of you know, importance. Maybe it's the length of the plane ride back too that you don't. You certainly don't want to screw up that one. <laughs> no, the, the pilot. The pilot didn't want so, you to screw up that one either. Yeah. So I don't know, but yeah, it was. I think it had more to do. I didn't. I, I wasn't caught up in. And I had a great, great respect for, you know, especially later on, uh, you know. Um, after I graduated, probably even more, but even playing against them. I mean, I had a great respect for the two guards that I was playing against, which were Sichting and uh, Kyle Macy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a Peru, Indiana boy, so I, I know all about Kyle Macy going to Purdue and Kentucky. Uh, he, that's right. He went, to, he went to Purdue first, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I didn't He's, know that. He's like the best basketball player ever from my hometown. And he went to the two teams I hate the most. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so, um, I, I felt, I felt, you know, a need, especially as they were similar kinds of guards. I felt the need to really prove, you know, the superiority uh, against those those guys, not only those guys, I mean, it's everybody I played, but uh, that's, those are two that, because I think he also made a choice to take me at Indiana ahead of those two. So, oh, wow. You know, I always felt that a little bit. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. All right. So now let's get into the whole reason you're playing this season, which is to win a national championship. And let's just cut right to, you make it past the Elite Eight. You get past the, the round that, that bit you last year. You're in the Final Four, and you get to the championship game where who are you playing? Michigan, the team that caused you a bunch of personal turmoil from Coach Knight. And 
What do you remember just in the days leading up to that national championship game? Just that this is it. You know, this is everything that we've worked for. Um, uh, I think we were extremely confident. Um, you know, uh, even though we've, you know, we knew we, if we played our game, we could beat them, even though they played us very close and almost should have won that game. Um, I think, you know, if everyone felt, hey, oh, yeah, that's not the way, that's not the way we play and that's not the way we can play. So I don't think, you know, we felt we were, we, we had huge respect for them though, their quickness, how much, uh, you know, how they got the ball out and ran and Ricky Green was just, you know, quicker than lightning. And um, so, yeah, and I, you know, I, I wasn't even expecting, I, I, for some reason he didn't, he didn't, go to me when we got to the NCAA tournament uh he was really going more with the core group and even more Jimmy Cruz the senior experience and it seemed like you know he was locking down to get I was a bit disappointed that I didn't get in any of the previous I think I got in the end of one of the games or something but didn't really get into any of the previous four, I guess, four or five. This is part of, to me, what makes this title game just such an amazing story. Because, like you said, it's the team that can't be beat, except for when bad luck gets in the way. Yeah. And in the first few minutes of the, the game against Michigan, Bobby Wilkerson suffers a pretty traumatic injury, a scary injury, an injury that looked truthfully scary. And Bobby Wilkerson, it's like, Oh my God, are we doing this Scott May thing all over again from last year where one of our stars goes out? Yeah, and it did, it did have a feeling of, of a little bit bad karma, you know, bad destiny. But I think we were just a little discombobulated in the game. I remember, I remember starting the start of the game, you know. Coach Knight put up on the board because there was a lot of press about, you know, how quick Michigan was and how they're going to, you know, run us out. They're going to really, quickness is going to prevail and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, I remember he was saying, uh, boys, I'm so tired of seeing this. He goes, we're not into a track meet. We're in a basketball game. And we're going to play our basketball, you know, and talking about it. Game started. First shot we missed, Hubbard, I think it was, goes up, takes the rebound, turns and throws it without landing on the on the court, out to Ricky Green, sprinting down the court, into his hands, layup. And there was about four or five plays like that. And timeout, I'm standing up thinking, shit, man, it's all of a sudden looking a hell of a lot like a track meet to me. <laughs> we better. We better. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, so it was a bad start we were struggling anyway and then that happens and um and we go go into this halftime you know I, he was trying he tried a couple other people and he actually put me in right before halftime i don't know i guess maybe he he already had in his mind he's going to start me in the second half and want to get me a little bit acclimated to the game but put me in right before halftime and then we go down to halftime 
But that that's what's amazing here is you go into halftime losing by six points. Bobby Wilkerson isn't coming back. And then coach makes a big decision, puts you into the starting lineup for the second half. And the whole game turns. Yes. What do you remember about that halftime? Did he come to you at halftime and say, you're going in? Do you, were you nervous at all? Like, was there any part of you that thought, oh my God, this undefeated season, I'm going to have to be the guy that fills the Bobby Wilkerson role? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, again, it was a team thing. I don't, ever think I felt oh okay I have to fill Bobby Wilkerson's role you know the whole dynamic just changes Um, you just know what your role is what you kind of have to do you don't think about you know hey oh now I'm going to go have to go out there and jump center and uh, you know (laughs) guard guard the the, you know the toughest guy on the court and gets you know 10 rebounds sure. 15 rebounds and a half so it wasn't it wasn't that and again it just speaks to the team I, I believe if I remember correctly all he did is he came in and said okay he, his speech was more about to this nucleus of this team about you got a chance to you know if you want to be the best team in in college history and win a national championship you got 20 minutes to prove it here it is and but I think he put up on the board, you know, and here we're okay. Here's what we're going to do. Here, here's where we're going to start the second half, and put my name on the board. Like, you know, just that's there was no discussion or anything. It's just here's where how we're going to go, and uh, here's the matchups. And uh, okay, you know, and I, I just said okay. I you know I kind of knew what I needed to do. I I felt the one thing I felt in the game is. It was really funny because I don't know if uh, I, I jumped forward a little bit to come back to the, this part. But, you know, after the game ended, you know, huge celebration. We went back. I didn't see, you know, after that, we hardly saw the coaches till the school was out. And then the next year, first day of practice, the next day, next year, he comes, I come in and nights there and he goes, hey, come here. I want to tell you something. I don't know what you heard, but you didn't actually play that great in the second <laughs> half of the game. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I've always been a smart ass, but I wish I would have said, uh, you know, I, I don't know what you heard, but I don't think I ever said I did. You know, or, you know I don't know. I, I don't know where that came from, but you know, he just wanted to sit. He wanted to put the focus back on you. Got you know, you got a lot. You got a lot to do now, and so anyway, so so to go back, the only thing I I saw is, uh, and personally, I told this when I was because I was we were talking a lot of shit, and I was making you know some wise remarks remarks when we were together. But at the end, I said, you know, the truth of the matter is, I have a feeling that those four guys were not going to lose that basketball game if they had to play with four. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's that's maybe the, the truth of the matter. But yeah. I do think think I I played a, I played a role. What I saw is we were really getting the ball stuck. Uh, we weren't getting much movement and. I mean, first off, Quinn, 
Bobby or no, or Quinn uh, Scott and Kent Benson, just the three of them took over the game, as I remember. And uh, so the role was pretty easy. But what I did feel is I saw with Michigan's quickness, and the game was played differently. You know, is if you look look at those old films, you get the impression that you're playing on a half court, you know, I mean, really half of the court that you play on today. And so I think we were getting the ball really stuck in on one side. It was making it hard for Scott to come off picks. Benson was kind of clogged in the middle. We'd take the ball up on one side and seem to get it stuck there a lot, not a lot of ball movement. And I was a little bit, maybe a bit more fluid or reversing direction with the ball. So now all of a sudden you have, you know, which Benny on the back on the strong side instead of the weak side, and he could push his man, or now you have a, back, a cross pick going with Scott going on the other side. So our offense started becoming really fluid, and those guys just, I mean, Scott was just, just unbelievable. Benson, too. I mean, I think I had a lot of assists because they just never missed a shot. I threw the ball, well, and they didn't miss a shot. You did. You had six assists. You paid 21 minutes. You are being way too humble. Uh, to say that they would have won on four with four. And by the way, Jim, if they're going to blame you for Larry Bird, then you got to take credit for the national championship. <laughs> I mean, the well, team was I, I, losing I, I, in the first half. You come in the second half. We win the title. We're the best team ever. If they're going to take Bird for, for you, then you got to take the title. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> I wish I wish I would have been as smart as is in knowing everything he said because he did refer to that half as the best half of of college basketball that he's ever been around. The I best think, half of I think he has even said that it's the best half that could be played. Yeah. Like I I mean it, it's just and you got to be part of that history that here we are, you know. 46 years later almost now, when, when this tournament is played, it'll be 46 years. No one's been able to rival it. No one's been able to match it. It's talked about every year. It is, did you get to go to the Spirit of 76 club when you were at, uh, when you were at back in Bloomington? They made a whole suite and they called it the Spirit of 76 club. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean... What was it like in the moments at the end of that game when you did realize we've got a national championship? Uh, I just remember it was, it was like my body took over. My my mind, you know, my mind was no longer even controlling my body. It was I just started jumping up and down, you know, <laughs> and and I think it was just uh, kind of a huge relief of doing this in the end because you know again i go back to the year before we just knew how easily and quickly it could just be taken away and and uh then when you see wilkerson go down and and that and, and then we were struggling still to find the right combination so you know they had all the momentum up until that second half started and uh, so it was a great relief to a long run. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure relief's a huge part of it. Do you, do you think, and it's tough to say because you guys probably could have and would have gone undefeated if Scott had not gotten hurt in the year before, 
but do you think somehow it was it was knowing how easily it could be taken away that is what prepared you for even when you had to step up because you lost yet another star that 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 it was the year before that prepared you guys to survive that championship game and to be able to get through that last 20 minutes better than maybe any college basketball teams ever played 20 minutes because of what you'd had to go through. Probably. And and I think that was the case throughout the year. I mean, if you look at it, that's why I say it was a team that couldn't be beaten. Um, You know, when the previous Michigan game, when I got in and, you know, sent us on a pretty bad course, the whole team wasn't playing very well that game either. Uh, but I certainly, you know, all of a sudden Jim Cruz comes in and makes a play at the end of the game to to, to save that game, you know, yeah. and, and tips it in. I mean, he, he, he Cruz just kept it alive and got it up by the rim. Benson tips it in and we go, I think, went into overtime, if I'm not mistaken. You know, Wayne Radford comes in and scores 16 points in that game, you know. Um, so, you know. Uh, there were times when even Rick Valavicious came in and had kind of key moments that were needed. Uh, so, you know, Jim Cruz many times during the season came in and uh, at crucial times. So it, it's, it was just like that uh, the, the whole year. You know, if, if someone needed to step up, someone stepped up. And, um, and even among the five, I mean, you know, when when I mean, you know, I, we were having a joke, and Scott asked me when we were down at the at the uh, thing. You know, he was trying to raise a raise a rift between Woody and I, I guess. So he says, you know, he says to me, "So Jim, of of the two you played with, who had the better jump shot, me or Woody?" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Wait, "Well, what's the answer?" Woody right away said, well, I can answer that one for you. He had the best jump shot. And, you know, and I said, well, yeah, I go, you know, I said, that's a high class problem. I said, <laughs> <laughs> okay. so, I, I guess I said, you know, when, but if I thought about it, Quinn was, was sitting there, I said, Scott, if it was, if it was from the, it was from anywhere, you know, in a probably 45 degree to the angle up anywhere else on the court, but maybe Woody from the corner. I don't know because mm. he was a great corner shooter. I said, but, but if there's like a few seconds left, maybe Quinn <laughs> or maybe with a minute oh. left. Oh, you know, because that's I, I I'm joking, but he wasn't a great shooter. But <laughs> the guy was amazing, in that whenever there was something on the line and we needed a bucket, I mean I can remember a few games Quinn would be like at the free throw line, and you're like oh, and he would he had that kind of weird free throw where he'd put too much spin on it, and he, he shot one that was almost an air ball. He hit the front of the rim and shot another one that was you know wasn't any. And I'm like, and we're not playing well. I said, oh, Jesus, if we get close to the end, I hope he gets that straightened out. And we're <laughs> close to the end of the game. And he hits like four free throws, you know, right in a row when the game Watch. was on the line. And, you know, 
he just was the, I mean, he's a quintessential winner. Mm. He just, he just, uh, you know, and so, and he, he sometimes hit baskets, you know, where he would be shooting terrible, but when there was like a really basket you needed, he'd find some way to score. He did it in the second half of the game, you know. He got even better as he got he got even better when when it got tighter. The more yeah. critical it was, actually, he performed better. Quinn did. Yes, it's hmm. true. So, one last question to button this season: What do you remember about returning to Bloomington and what that celebration was like? And then, what do you remember about meeting President Ford and being able to ha have that honor? which is just such a cool thing in American sports history. Yeah, that was, that was something. It all went very quickly. I remember it just was, you know, again, it was such the, the relief, the, what we accomplished. I remember coming down 37. I'd never seen anything like it. You know, there were just, so, it was almost like the entire way from Indianapolis was, was packed with people. Um, celebration was great. It was, you know, it's, but then, then I, I really enjoyed going to the White House. I'd never been. Um, I remember I got once again signaled out, you know, because President Ford said something about, you know, brought up the first Michigan game, then the second that I played in. So he said <laughs> something about it. So I don't know if. I don't know if he had one of his aides tip him off or he actually was following the games. Well, he, he, he's, he's a Michigan, Michigan guy. I know. I know he was. But, but he, uh, so he said, uh, you know, something specifically, I think, about, about my performance the second game versus the first or something. So, um, but, no, it was, it was something. Um, something, you know, you never forget. I, I never thought how how hard that must have been for him because I mean he played Michigan for football he was all in on the Wolverines and he had to invite you guys to the White House for beating his team in the championship that's rough yeah yeah but I mean you have to understand uh, I'm sure you do but uh, if you remember I think it was coming up on election year uh. <laughs> he needed the state of Indiana oh and. Uh, you know, to win. So it, it was a well-calculated bet he put out there. He figured he couldn't lose either way. <laughs> Great. Well, listen, Jim, your career at Indiana is really a tale of two halves, if you will. I mean, you have, and it's, it's two different eras. That year is really the end of that run, that magical run from 74. And then as you have mentioned, you have the really tough year, your junior year and senior year. We've already taken up almost two full hours of your time. What we would love to do is end on the high note of the president having to eat crow and give you the honor of welcoming you to the White House and have you back on for a part two in a few weeks or whenever time permits. And we'll do the end of your your Indiana career and then into your professional life. Yeah, Would that work for you? Yeah, of course. I didn't realize I talked so long. I, you shouldn't. You should have told me. No, I no idea. So we love it. We love it. We, time flies when you're having a good time, and we're yeah. suckers for this. We could listen to this stuff all day long. And we yeah. and we don't want to rush the part where you give us a lot of good juicy Woody stories. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> yeah. right. 
Okay, so listen, Jim, I just want to say this. It Part of the reason that this podcast still remains uh, something that we do after uh, now three full years of doing it every week is because it gives us the chance to somehow reunite the Indiana family to its fan base. And hearing that you were back in French Lick for the reunion and back at Assembly Hall to see Woody and kind of reconnected to your former teammates in the program, that's what it's all about for us. And it is an honor to be able to connect to you and hear your story. And uh, I'm telling you, I'm just like a giddy kid just listening to these things. It just makes me so happy that you have reconnected. Um, I do not blame you for Larry Bird, but I do give you credit for the national championship. Yeah, That's well, what we're doing on this show. I, I, I blame. I, I think we all we all blame ourselves a little bit for Larry Bird. There you go. <laughs> there you go. It's a team thing, right? It's yeah. a team thing. Uh, it's, but it really, thank great you so much. You. Thank okay. you so much for giving us this time. All right. See you later. Good talking to you. That was a guest. That was a guest. I mean, I I just love touching history i mean it's history it with, is with, with history's permission of course full consensual <laughs> history touching it's um it's just so cool to hear the different perspectives from the different people you know we talked to benny who was such an important you know on the court he was counted on to get a ton of points and a ton of rebounds you know, we've talked to Jim Cruz, who had that magical play and and had a real coach's mind, you know, even back then. And now we talked to Jim Wisman, who, you know, played a bunch, then was benched, then didn't play at all in the NCAA tournament until he's then thrown into the most important game, I would argue, in the history of Indiana basketball. Absolutely. And, and he's got to perform – and he did, and I love Knight giving it to him the next year, telling him he didn't play that well. <laughs> well, and when you you hear his college career started with being hazed by Coach Knight at practice for making him drive to Quincy, Illinois, it's like, okay, the man is is consistent, if nothing else, in the way he busts people's chops. And and frankly, when you're you're talking about uh, the greatest team of all time, it, it even when the rotation was tightened as we know it did and and you're getting you know because we were kind of making fun of when load management was the topic of conversation yeah. and how basically all those starters played the better point better part of 40 minutes a game and you did you had a couple guys come in and a couple of times but coach Knight tightened up that rotation so much but then Wilkerson goes out and it's like, well, the reason they're not the greatest starting five of all time, though they're probably that too, but the, the reason they're the greatest team of all time is when Bobby goes down, you have, you, you don't just have one player, you, you try two or three and depending on the situation and the matchup and the, 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 the national championship fever that's going on with both teams, here's the guy on the best team ever who's right for this moment at this time and can lead lead that well let's say along with Quinn you know the two guards yeah. that lead the greatest 20 minutes of college basketball that coach Knight was ever a part of yeah you got to have a pretty good team to have that guy sitting on your bench it's also a reminder of how many stories exist in sports 
because obviously there is the story of the 1976 Indiana team, which has been told, you know, broadly ad nauseum. I mean, there's every year, you know, every anniversary of it, they'll, they'll do a quick retrospective of it. The the Showtime documentary series. We've got the vinyl, my brother-in-law sent yes. me. That we got to do that stuff. Yeah, we're going to do an episode where if some people may have it, they released a record. I believe it was months after the 76 season. Maybe it took a year to get out with, you know, it's Don Fisher and it's it's all basically the audio highlights of that season. So Eric and I are going to have a listening party where we go through and we pause and we talk about stuff and then keep going. But yeah, it's it really has seemingly been told by every conceivable angle, but then we just heard some stuff we've never heard before. Yes, and and exactly. And and this narrative of the kid from Quincy who competes against Quinn Buckner, who is known by everyone in the state, and they just boat race him in the state title game till two years later he's playing against Quinn in practice and Bobby Wilkerson for, for two years. He then gets to play against Michigan and shits the bed, and Knight grabs him off. It becomes national news. It international. Becomes international news. <laughs> the first it, Bob Knight international incident. Right. And then it somehow the matchups all happen to where the championship game is against that team, and this guy who probably never would have played in the game has to be thrust into a key role, losing to Michigan at half, it's just, it's mind boggling all the different mini stories that, that make up the tapestry of what that whole thing is. It's remarkable. By the way, I do just want to remind people the second half of that game, remember no shot clock, no three pointer. Indiana wins the second half of that game, 57 to 33. I mean, no shot clock ward. No shot clock and no three pointer. They That's scored track 57 meet. points. That was a track meet. That was a track meet. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's remarkable. And and I do love that this is a guy. He worked for Leo Burnett in advertising. Were you covering up a yawn? Were you trying to cover up a yawn? <laughs> yep, yep. But that was wasn't even trying to cover it up. Just it terrible. It was just caught it a little. <laughs> you did one of these ones. <laughs> tried to turn it into a smile. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I wasn't even worried about covering it up. Oh, okay. Um, but this is a guy who went to work for Leo Burnett, one of the biggest advertisers. <laughs> <laughs> you got to watch the video podcast for that one. Um, went to work for Leo Burnett, one of the biggest, most respected advertising agencies in the world, became a senior executive with Leo Burnett, has lived in New York, uh, Paris, France, Spain. Uh, did he say Germany for two years? Yeah, and he was doing work in Denmark before that? Denmark? Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is a guy who has lived several lives. And yet, those four years that he left, and he left the game of basketball decades ago, they kept calling him back. And his old buddy, Mike Woodson, gets the job and he just makes a point. I'm going to go to the reunion in French Lick, Indiana, and I'm going to go visit my friend Aber and go back to Assembly Hall and show my wife what that is like. It is such a special thing. And it just as a fan, 
makes me feel so good to know that a guy like Jim Wisman, after all these years away, still finds this love and attachment to Indiana that brought him back. I love it. I and love I, it. I don't think we should discount that, oh, if it had been some random coach from a random state who maybe had all the the bona fides to get the IU job but not the connection that Coach Woodson has, that I don't think Jim Wisman would have been down at French Lick. And there's a lot of Jim Wismans. Yeah. You know, I think that's exactly. a great point. I also love an athlete is just a shit-talking guy from the from the moment he he becomes that till the day he dies and Scott May is asking him who had the better jump shot me or Woody <laughs> I mean like and you know Scott May wanted the answer <laughs> yeah. they both they both there's no doubt in my mind that they both felt that they had the best jump shot ever because yeah, and Woody's just being magnanimous right because you don't have that incredible of a, of a jump shot unless you believe that yours is the greatest and the consummate leader and point guard make sure that scott gets the pass because it's scott but make sure that woody gets the pass because it's woody and then also give quinn his <laughs> yeah because uh, quinn quinn will just rip your head off if you don't give him his yeah by the way we screwed up earlier the wisconsin game is tomorrow not today. We're, we're so excited. We were hoping it was today, which is really tomorrow because we're taping this yesterday. And so really tomorrow is today and the games the day after that on Wednesday, which is tomorrow for you guys. But the day after tomorrow for us tonight, which is yesterday from the time you're listening to this today. <laughs> Have you started listening to the or watching the uh, documentary? Um, yes, I have started watching the documentary. I have not watched it all. Um, I've kind of come in bits and pieces. I, I am not the most massive Beatles fan. I respect them. Uh, you just like you just like Billy Joel doing Beatles covers. Correct. Yeah. Right. They're much better. Um, uh, the documentary is is staggeringly good. It's I find it just immensely entertaining. What about the last episode of Succession? Are you caught up? Okay. For, wait. Hold on. Let's button up the the Beatles thing. Are you watching it? Uh, I th I might wait and and just binge it all at once. I don't I don't think I'm going to get the ladies on board to watch it with me. I I, I don't Annie know. Annie will like it. Mm. Ward Ward. Look, I, again, am not a Beatles guy. You see them right, let it be, in real time. I, I, I couldn't think of something more fascinating and wonderful. It's a hard sell to my family. And you see George Harrison quit the band. Hey, no spoilers. Come on. I mean, it's not a spoiler. It happened 50 years ago. <laughs> uh, that's definitely past the statute. Of I don't know what they have footage of. It is, um, it looks incredible. It's amazing. Succession last night. Are you caught up? I am. Is this, is this a spoiler? Should people stop listening? No, I'm not. Well, they can stop listening if they want. Okay. Uh, that's the best hour of drama that I've ever seen. Wow. I, there are so many classic moments in that episode of television. <laughs> Immediately, my one goes to the, the dirty talk. 
have you ever seen a scene like that in television? It was so disturbing. It was so confusing. It was, I, I mean, like heartbreaking, we, emotional, confusing, hilarious, hilarious. Yes, <laughs> that's what the show is. So that's inc- that's 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 tied for top moment. Mm-hmm. Lo- Logan <laughs> using the grandson as the food tester. Amazing, so, like Shakespearean genius. And my favorite line of the entire show, maybe, that's not a comedy line. When Kendall says, I thought I was a knight on horseback. And Logan says, life's not knights on horseback. It's a number on a piece of paper. It's a fight in the mud for a knife. Looking for a knife. Looking for a knife, sorry. Yes. That... It's a fight in the mud looking for a knife. <laughs> that all you need to know about both those characters is right there. That's it. And then the dick the, pic. The dick pic. Like, like, I mean, there's a few other moments in television history I think of in terms of where I'm just squirming. I'm like, I'm writhing. Like my body is having yes. a physical reaction to what it's watching. And honestly, his Roman's reactions to realizing what he has done is some of the greatest acting I've ever seen in my life. It's it's just insane. You felt every ounce of his discomfort and you <laughs> felt every ounce of Logan's disappointment that he knew definitively in that moment. In, in Roman's most successful moment in the show mm-hmm. was also the moment that totally made it so that Logan knew he can't give him the company. He's the greatest, the greatest success turned into the greatest failure. And who is sitting there like slobbering, just eating it all up was Shiv. And, and that's, I think Logan realized both things in that moment. Mm-hmm. I think he realized, I love when he said to Roman, are you sicko? right are you a sicko so he realizes he's a sicko and he can't give him the company it's too much risk and at the same time he realizes that shiv doesn't give a damn about the company she is just self-preservation it's not about the company it's about her and so i think logan is now in a position where he realizes i'm screwed and i think that's going to drive him back to kendall oh interesting interesting um I didn't I didn't get that part about Shiv in terms of like him realizing like e- even if he is realizing she's just out for herself well if she's then doing that on behalf of the company but isn't she's that not. isn't that what Logan's been doing though I mean if, I think isn't I it think, all of- I think Logan no because because if Logan was just about himself then he would not agree to the 50-50 deal with the guy that runs Gojo well, he hasn't agreed yet. Right. No, but he's agreed in principle to it. He mm-hmm. wouldn't even consider it if it was just about himself. He right. knows it's good for the company. And and he thinks that he can then run the company because he has ultimate confidence in himself. But I just, I love it. And then the other scene that we're not talking about, Shiv with her mom was brutal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just when you think like maybe there's going to be a moment or a connection there, and that's the case that repeats. You're my the show. onion. You're my <laughs> onion. Yeah. I just the show is bonkers good, and the way they have crafted this storyline and where we've gotten to this, it's just bonkers good. 
I've heard uh, directly from one person and through another person that this opinion is some people are starting to feel like the show has run its course. Those people can go fuck themselves. Yeah, they probably went to Purdue or Kentucky. Uh, but I will say this, in, unless, you know, there there is some huge ground shaking paradigm altering something say at the end of this season i do kind of feel like they should get out at the end of next and be able to walk away saying this was one of the greatest shows of all time like because unless something else shifts in a major way i'm i i do see like another 12 episodes wrapping this thing up before i get tired of it i would be happy if they all went to jail they all went to the same federal prison and I got four seasons of them in prison competing <laughs> to run the Aryan yes. gang. Yes. And the, I mean, like, I want that. Because this is where I'm saying whether it's this Mad Madsen guy or Sandy and Stewie finally getting yes. something done that actually really, like, takes the power away from Because it's all been these threats. But, like, Logan has won every single time, ultimately. He's never lost it. And and to Tom's point, like telling Kendall, like, you know, um, you've gotten fucked so many times and I've never seen your dad get fucked. It's like, yeah, we never have. And it, it, until we like if he's never going to get fucked, then that either needs to be the end of the show or either turn it into a whole new direction and give it new life. I guess. I mean, Walter White never lost either for about six seasons. He just kept escaping and it worked. That's what good writers do. I, I Look, I, the people that say it, it's run its course, if that means, does that mean you did not enjoy these last couple episodes? That, because that, they are genius episodes of television. I don't know where those people are coming from. I, I honestly don't. I don't get it at all. I, I love the show. I was blown. I watched a couple of the scenes twice because oh. I was so blown away by Oh, it. yeah. I mean, the whole dick pic scene, I was like, we need to watch all of this again right away. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was insane. I need and five minutes. Are you a sicko? I mean, he asked <laughs> his son if he was a sicko. All right, listen, we could do this forever. Jim Wisman reconnected to the roots. The love of Indiana brought him back. I love hearing about that time. Uh, look, man, these guys aren't getting any younger. It's 40, 45 years right now. It'll be 46 years. Yeah. Um, you know, these guys that were there, they're they're in their upper 60s now. And I love that they're willing to come on and share with us a little bit of Indiana history. It is what the bedrock of this podcast is. And I just love it. I mean, I geek out. I'm a fanboy for it, and I don't care. I mean, it's, it's kind of how we got to where we're at right now, is being geeked out fanboys who don't care. And by where we're at, you mean you're still in your garage and I'm at my house and we're using Zoom and shitty microphones. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly where yeah. we started. We're and exactly that's where we're, <laughs> we're still there. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh... Just running in place. <laughs> uh, follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics for the hysterics. No E, no I. But, but sometimes, sometimes why? We will be back at you next week. Maybe. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Everything I do, we discuss in unique manner. We 
won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Warden Eric, and as you probably know by now, we're who 